Hey, welcome to the 190th episode of the Random Podcast from Heck. My name is Tony, and this is the podcast about random things in the world of entertainment, which includes movies, TV shows, and comic books. Big shout out to Dave McVale and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter and be awesome by going to patreon.com slash gmanfromheck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. And if you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. And we are currently in the midst of the Vision and the Scarlet Witch miniseries, looking back at the, the 12 issue series from 1985, 1986. And uh, uh, Luke Cage just made an appearance and in Quicksilver, and there's like some. Uh, marital infidelities going on and a bunch of crazy stuff and demons and <laughs> so you can hear back about how this series was um since we're i'm missing wandavision so you can hear about that and sometimes i talk about movies and other things but if you can't commit to a monthly commitment you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gmat from heck and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or two and that is ko-fi.com slash gmat from heck Okay, so what is going on this week? This week, um, there wasn't like a big, huge uh, theatrical movie main feature because there was nothing that was really released this week or recently. So the main feature is the first episode of The Nevers. So that's the HBO Max show. Now, controversially, this is a series that was created by Joss Whedon. And apparently, I didn't even realize he directed this first episode. I thought he left... Uh, the production before it even started because he was citing uh, co- I, I wonder if he maybe he was involved with the first five episodes and then um, then he uh, someone else would be kind of taking over but anyways um, so aside from how you however you feel about Joss Whedon you know it, it's a it's a pretty slick production so you can hear about how that episode went um, I'm also going to be talking about more some more episodes of them the Amazon Prime original uh, horror-ish look back on on horrific uh, racism in the 50s so there's some heavy heavy uh, heavy stuff that happened so we'll look at episodes 103 106 and um, I'm, I'm digging the show it's like this this is just it's it's weird and it's it's good I'm the latest Falcon in the winter soldier there's some some cool things there invincible uh second episode of bird girl the flash and that's it and then comics and the news as far as the news there's not a whole lot of news going on unfortunately it's 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 weird how some weeks have more news than other weeks there just wasn't a whole lot going on here uh the first thing (laughs) we we got our quote-unquote first look at the live action powerpuff girls so yeah, I'm I'm leading with that. There's a CW release like a promo image of the the three um, Powerpuff Girls, and uh, we kind of see them. Um, but unfortunately, there there was some like set pictures that were released or something like that, and th- the set pictures didn't look super great. Uh, this promo looks better. But the weird thing is, I, I guess the show's not greenlit yet. I guess the, it's only the pilot, but it, it feels like it's happening. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely going to check it out. I'm, I'm curious to see how it's going to be, and, and I, I would love for it to be a great show. So we'll, we'll see about, about that. There was a trailer release for Resident Evil 
Infinite Darkness. So this is a, they're calling it an anime series, even though it's all CG, which I guess it doesn't matter. I mean, it looks, it looks like the video game, like the video game CG, which is kind of neat in a way. It's kind of weird in another way. So it's, uh, it has Leon and Claire from Resident Evil 2. So Leon, he, he, has, he goes to the White House and guess Claire is working for there. And then all of a sudden, like the lights go out. Something's like, oh, get the president to safety. And then there's some weird stuff happening. And then zombies and, and so forth. So I'm really curious to see where that's going to go. But I don't know if I know the whole story, like everything that's happened since Resident Evil 2. Because I haven't played all the games. I still haven't finished 7. Because I hate that game, especially in VR. Oh, that game's horrific in VR, but I need to go back. I tried play. I, I don't know if I mentioned I, I played it a, a, like two or three weeks ago. I played some more in VR, and it, it's it's horrific, but I love it. But I hate it. Um, <laughs> interesting, but if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, so we got that Amazon show coming up, and it, and on one hand, it's kind of like, why are you doing this? I mean, we have these three. Is it three movies? I feel like if there was more than three, did they? They didn't split any of them, right? They were just all single movies. My goodness, it felt like like the second one was like four movies. Uh, anyways, so this live action TV series, apparently the first season has a a budget or it's costing them $465 million. So that's a lot. I mean, but on the other hand, if you look at a movie, you know, big blockbuster movie, usually maybe it's around $200 million. And if we're talking about a TV show, how many episodes? Six episodes. So it's like six hours, eight hours, ten hours. I don't know how many episodes there are going to be. So four hundred sixty-five million. I guess that that's reasonable for a TV show. I mean, it's provided they're going to have like the same type of costs and everything like that. That's what I was thinking about a uh, uh, Falcon and, and Winter Soldier. I'm, I'm looking at the production from, and it, it does look feel like a movie. You know, just like a, a ongoing theatrical release. So. You know, they're upping the games everywhere, so you got to do that to get people watching and and so forth. Uh, Speaking of, like, Marvel TV stuff, so Gabriel Luna, cool guy. I got to to talk to him briefly. I don't know if I – I don't think if I did – I know I did interview him. I think I'm pretty sure I interviewed him because I remember asking – I asked him about – like cars because Ghost Rider had to duck the car. Anyways, he is uh he's been cast for HBO's Last of Us adaptation and he's going to be playing Tommy. Who is Tommy? <laughs> I can't tell you because I haven't played the games. I I've, I've been wanting to play those and um but again, you know me with my video game time. I'm I'm saying it's like oh, I should get the games, I should start playing them, but it's like when am I going to do that when I spend so much time reading comics and watching all this stuff and then there's a the pesky day job which speaking of a day job <laughs> i don't know if i should talk that's not news right i don't know if anyone cares to hear about that but uh back to uh full full day teaching masks all day students all day you know no more zooms it's it's all fine you know i i don't have a problem working or not that i wasn't working all day before you know doing the zooms and looking at homework and and so forth but it's just a trying to teach with a mask all day is, is what's exhausting because just, you know, it's a little harder to breathe. You know, yeah, I can breathe, but trying to make sure it stays on my face and covered and talking and, and it's just like the moisture and oh, so, yeah. And then making sure the kids are staying three feet apart and all that's fun stuff. Anyways, uh, there was a trailer. I think it was this week, Army of the Dead, the Zack Snyder 
a zombie movie. And I was a little confused. Maybe I, I don't know if I lost a little folk, if I didn't, if I missed something. But so it's basically a heist movie. They're they're trying to break into a vault in Las Vegas in a casino. But it what my impression, what my recollection is like they go into this vault, then when they come out, it's like a zombie apocalypse. So it's like, was it a zombie apocalypse to begin with? If it was, you're you're worrying you're gonna break into a vault when the world may be ending. It's like you should be focused on other things. I don't know, but I, I have a feeling like the zombie apocalypse outbreak must have happened before they started their mission, their heist. But I don't know. So there's uh, you know obviously slow motion scenes and lots of bullets, you know shooting guns and stuff like that. So so yay, get all that. Um, also speaking of Netflix, uh, Netflix is doing a live action Gundam movie, and you know there's there's some information that came out this this week. I don't. I'm not like super familiar with Gundam. I I know I I I think I've seen some of it, but I don't know. I know a lot of people love it, so I really hope for those serious fans that it's it's a good production that it's done justice for them or whatever you I'm trying to say. So we'll, we'll see about that. But I I I, could, I don't have a strong opinion either way. You know, I obviously I want it to be great. I want it to be awesome, but I I'm not like I won't be like upset if it's horrible. I mean, whatever. You know what I'm saying, right? Mads Mikkelsen. So he was in a uh, cast walking, which I talked about last week, but he's been cast in Indiana Jones 5. No word on who or what he's playing. Uh, speculations that he's going to be the bad guy. So we'll, we'll see. I don't know if anything else has been mentioned. I think there is, uh, I'm trying to remember, there's there an actress that was cast late last week. And I think I forgot to mention it. So I don't know. I'm, I'm looking forward to that, hopefully. And uh, speaking of cast ladies, Lucy Liu is going to be Calypso in Shazam! Fury of the Gods. So she's going to be kind of like the, the villain or a villain. So that's cool. I like Lucy Liu. I've never met her, but she seems cool. And then uh, the last bit of news, I think that's it. See, this is this this is going really fast. Uh, Joe Cornish, who did apparently did Attack the Block, and he worked on the script for Ant-Man with Peyton Reed. Um, he's going to be writing and directing Starlight. So Starlight is uh, the comic from Mark Miller and Goran Parlov. And I'm, I'm so excited. I love that series. It was such a great series. It's basically you have this Earth dude. Kind of, it's kind of like a like Flash Thompson, Flash Thompson, Flash Gordon. I should edit that out. It's kind of like Flash Gordon from like the the Flash Gordon movie from the eighties, where he goes on this big space mission, saved this other world, and he's a big hero. But then he like he comes back and just kind of lives a normal life. You know, he gets he's married, has kids, and and. It's like they don't really believe, like, oh, yeah, sure, you went on a space mission. You're a big space hero. Uh-huh. And and then so now he's, like, oh, past his prime, and then he kind of gets called back into action. They're like, you know, you were this great hero that say, helped us save, and, you know, we need your help again. But he's an old dude now. So it, it's kind of an interesting take where it's kind of like Flash Gordon, you know, in, in his retirement years coming back into the game to, to try to save every one of us. So I, I, I'm excited for that. My only concern is, because um, originally uh, Gary Whitta wrote the script 
you know, he, he was, a, and the movie was supposed to come out at 20th Century Fox, but then I believe because of the sale to Disney and everything, that kind of shook things up, and then there's like the Miller World stuff with Netflix, like did they own the rights, did they not own the rights, and stuff like that. So now I think it's coming out with 20th, 20th Century Films, is that what they're calling it now? So I don't know what that means to, to, with Gary Witta's script, did they... They're like, yeah, we, I mean, maybe they can't use it because it's tied to a previous production that expired or something. Or maybe uh, this dude is like, well, if I'm going to be directing it, I'd rather write my own script than use someone. I don't know. Maybe we'll hear something about that. One last, oh, uh, one last thing I do want to mention, not really news or anything, but, you know, there's more episodes of Made for Love came out. I'm really enjoying this show. And I kind of feel like, you know, I, I should have talked about it like normally, but again, I don't know if it's really like a, a podcast type show. And it, I don't know if it's because it's kind of like a rom-com and I don't know if uh, you people listening, if you're, if you want to hear about rom-coms or not, but I, I'm really enjoying it. And uh, Kristen Milioti, I just, I really have this admiration for her. I mean, I, I think she's great. And the, the, the curious thing Apparently, she was in this show, I think it was like 2014 or 15, called A to Z. It was her and, oh, I forget the dude's name. This this guy, he was in, I think he was in Mad Men. And Katie uh, Siegel was like the narrator. And um, it's not available to watch any, anywhere, which is so weird. It was an NBC show, but it's not on Peacock. It's not on NBC.com. But it was a Warner Brother produced movie or show. It's not on HBO Max. So I actually uh, I, I tweeted to the the creator and I was like, hey, do you know what's going on? And and he's not really sure. You know, he's he he thinks that if it was streaming anywhere, it would be on HBO Max. But I would love to to watch this show. So you should uh you should at reply HB if you have Twitter and you feel like doing something, you should just say, hey HBO Max, how about streaming A to Z with Kristen Milioti? because Tony wants to watch it. Um, unfortunately, it was like only 13 episodes. I, I, I think I don't think the, the whole season got to play out because I'd never heard of this show, which is crazy because you know I was working in, in entertainment. This story is this dude, he works for like this uh, website, this like dating app thing or something like that. And then he um, the building next to him, Kristen Milioti, I think she's a lawyer. And then it's kind of like a dating thing. And it's, it's supposed to be like a limited, it's, I think from like the beginning, you know how long they're dating for. So my question is like, okay, are they going to break up at the end? Do they get married at the end? What happens? And I have no idea because I can't watch the show. But I think Kristen Milioti is, is really cool. And, and I would love to watch the show. But anyways, uh, Made for Love. It's it, I, I started listening to the audiobook, which is um, the writer of the audiobook is one of the co-writers for the show there's some differences because like you know I, as i mentioned last week the main character hazel her father in um the show chris Miliati's father is played by ray romano but in the book he i think he's like 76 years old so he's older and it, it kind of starts off differently in the show we see the kristen's character hazel like escape from this fortress tude where this a fortress place where this like Elon Musk recluse mil mil millionaire tech dude lives and has kind of been keeping her not like as a hostage but 
but then in the book she's already like out and she's like at her dad's place and and so forth so it's it's an interesting show again i i recommend it um i think six episodes are out one two three four five six no maybe eight episodes are out i think um seven and eight just came out and then there's two more yeah because they dropped three to first week and then three to second week and then two so it's on hbo max I, i recommend it it's it's a it's, it's a kind of clever show, you know. It's not is it necessarily groundbreaking or whatever. Maybe not, but I I, I think it, it's it's interesting the idea that you know she had this chip implanted in her head unknowingly, not you know now she knows and you know she's trying to she wants a divorce from her husband that she's lived with for ten years because, you know, he's stuck a chip in her head for and, and everything. So it's it's worth checking out, and it's a comedy, even though it sounds horrific that someone would stick a chip in their spouse's head and keep them in this high tech fortress. So so check it out, uh, Made for Love on HBO Max, <laughs> and that is sort of the news for the week. That not really news there, but you you get a little bonus sprinkle in there since there wasn't a lot of news, anyways. All right, let's talk comic books at Image Comics uh, Birthright came out this week and uh guess what i'm still not caught up birth rate 48 i feel like this series is going to end before i i start catching up again because yeah there's only two issues left so it makes sense issue 50 is going to be the last issue so then i'll finally be able to get caught up whatever um and again if you're reading it let me let me know how it's going uh, a new new comic came out this week i was a little skeptical about reading it it's called home so this is a five issue miniseries it says, when a young boy is torn away from his mother while seeking asylum in the U.S. border or at the U.S. border, something begins to change in him. And it isn't just a trauma, anxiety, and guilt you'd expect. He doesn't know it yet, but it's the onset of superhuman abilities that will change his life forever. So Julio Anta and Anna Wysizic debut with a deeply grounded and heartfelt five-issue series that explores the real-world implications of migrant and with of a migrant with extraordinary powers. So uh, when you start reading it, um, it kind of, it, it gives a, it get, I'm assuming gives a, a, a look at how immigration works for a lot of people, you know. So we, we have uh, this mother and her, her son, they're making their way from Guatemala and her husband was killed by gangs and everything like that. And they were going to like target her, her little kid. So she's like, we're, we got to move. We're going to go to the United States. We can go live with my sister in Houston, get a better life, get away from all this. and everything. Cause that, that's what people want. But unfortunately at this point, when this, this takes place, there's a new president. So this was like a, maybe a few years back, zero tolerance on immigration, no illegals because they're all criminals and, and all this stuff. According to the comic, so they get to the border and then they're put in the detention center while they're being quote unquote processed. But really what's going on is the children are being separated from parents, which is, it's unclear what's going on. The, the mother's going to be sent to a woman's facility and the son gets sent to a place where there's just kids. So it's like, what, what is the point of this of separating the parents from the kids? And I don't understand all this or whatever. So we, while we have all that, and then we're getting in the, a, a taste of the, the superpowers developing. So it kind of takes a, a real-world unfortunate situation, and it, it's adding 
the superhero or superpower element to it. So I don't know how it's going to go because it's it's not fully explored in this first issue because it is a first issue setting everything up. So yeah, it's there's there's that and uh, we'll see. I mean, I I may check out. I'll probably check out the second issue. You know, because I I'm intrigued. Yeah, I had a couple issues with the art and a, a couple moments, but you know, it, it's fine. It it's it's worth checking out. You know, it is something different. If if that at all sounds interesting to you. I, you know, the whole immigration thing, I, I totally feel for people wanting, you know, a better life and everything. I can't imagine just up like I'm going to move to Scotland and just just live there. You know, I, I love Scotland when I went there in 2015, but I can't imagine just going there and deciding like, hey, I'm, I'm going to live here now. I'm not going to tell anyone or go through anything. I can't imagine it. My parents, you know, my parents are immigrant. They, they, they immigrated to the United States, but they went through the process. You know, I, I, I should probably talk to them sometime. You know, I don't know. I mean, it was a different time period, so maybe things were different. But, you know, they, they immigrated here. You know, I was born in the United States, and, you know, things worked out. I don't know. So I, I just feel so bad. I mean, you know, no one wants to have a, a horrific or horrible life, and but you don't want to be sent to a detention center. You know, that that's not why you go through everything, you know, that's not what the type, you know, what you're looking for. I don't know. And um, there is also another new comic called Jules Verne Lighthouse Number 1 of 5. So this is another five-issue miniseries. This is by David Hine and Brian Haberlin, with art by Brian Haberlin and Juriad Van Dyke. Uh, it, it was an interesting comic. You know, mix of, of the, the art was, was, was pretty cool as well. So the description, it says, At the edge of the galaxy, there's a giant supercomputer known as a lighthouse, the only brain powerful enough to navigate ships through a sargasso of naturally occurring wormholes, potentially cutting months or even years off a spaceship's journey. Three humans, one alien, and a nanny bot have manned a remote station for years in relative peace until the arrival of Captain Congre and his band of cutthroat pirates uh, until the pirates threaten the future of civilization and reveals that each of the lighthouse crew has been hiding a shocking secret. See, I didn't read this. I didn't read the description before. I feel like there's some spoilers here because not everything is really touched on. Who controls the lighthouse controls this part of the galaxy? From the team that brought you the marked and Sonata comes this double. Yeah, this is like 50 some pages. Uh, comes this double sized sci-fi thriller set on the high seas of space based on the works of master storyteller Jules Verne. So it, it's an interesting comic because like this lighthouse, you know, it, it is like a lighthouse in the, the old days or on Earth currently, but this is like a space station lighthouse and and then this ship arrives. It's like, wait, what's going on? The computer's hacked. Who are these people? And and we're seeing that there's, I mean, there's definitely stuff going on with, with the, the characters. I didn't realize that everyone has their own secret, but there's there's some cool moments in here, so I was definitely um, interested in what, what what's going on there. So you should you should check that out. Uh, Carmen number two came out, so this is uh, the book written and drawn by Guillaume March. So in the first issue, our, our our main character, so she apparently kills herself, and it's you know I my my what I was wondering you know as you're reading this is like okay is she really dead or is there a possibility of her getting resuscitated you know re- revived or whatever. And she meets this um, the spirit angel. What I don't, I'm not sure what's going on. And 
she's kind of uh, our the main character is kind of exploring the world kind of being of a phantom you know just no one being able to see her being able to fly around and you know see things that you shouldn't see or just you know the world going on around her and no one can see her the the problem the concern for her is she's naked because that that's what how she was when she decided to kill herself and um like at one point this little kid's like points at her he's like mom mom and she's like does she all of a sudden she's like self-conscious she's like can kids see me can they, they see that i'm naked and and that I, I, right there is one of the questions i have about the book is it fully necessary for her to be naked through this it's not gratuitous i don't think but is it gratuitous if it's not really necessary i mean she could have been closed I don't know. So, I mean, it's, it's you know, it's, as long as you, it's not a problem for you, I mean, it, it's not really like super distracting or anything. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm curious what's going to happen to the story because, you know, there is a bits with her best friend and then, you know, there's, there's stuff with, he, you know, she's uh, kind of always had like a, she's started developing like feelings for him or always had feelings for him. And, and then, you know, he, he's having like an affair with her, the, the girl's roommate and at first, I, I might have been confused in the first issue because I thought she and her, her best friend were together. But now it kind of looks like maybe the best friend was with someone else and is cheating with the roommate. And she's like, well, why why not me? I, I don't know. But uh, I'm, I'm curious where, where this is going to go, like like what, what's happening here. So you can check that out if you like Ian March's art. And then Scumbag issue 7 came out. I'm actually behind on this. I, haven't, I didn't read issue 6 yet. So I need to... To get caught up on that, um, at I oh I didn't check out IDW. Uh, I didn't look there. So IDW GI Joe Real American Hero two seventy nine came out. Untold Tales Part Four. I said I really need to get caught up. I need to read that eight issue series. I need like like a bi month or something like that. Oh, Lock and Key Sandman Helen Gone. I was kind of curious about that. How that was gonna be. So that came out. Maybe I'll try to, you know, talk about that next week. I'm like behind in lock and key, so you know, I that's I'd be a little hesitant, but I'm sure that it should be like new reader friendly. So yeah, I'll have to check on that. So it's by and it's by Joe Hill and Neil Gaiman. So it's like, come on. Then um, over at DC, so good good news, bad news with the the DC books is there's not a whole lot of new titles coming out so that kind of, that's kind of good for me because it allows me to get caught up on on the other books but then the bad news is it's kind of like well where are all the books so what we had um american vampire 1976 issue 7 came out so i haven't been reading that yet um, but there is batman the detective issue one so this is by tom taylor and andy kubert and I wrote a review about this. So, you know, for me, especially for this past week, you know, it's, it's been exhausting with teaching. And I know that's not an excuse and it shouldn't uh, be a factor impact on this podcast. But, you know, again, I am human. So it's hard for me or not the podcast, but the website and everything like that. So, you know, I wanted to, to do a, uh, an, another review as well, but I, I just didn't have the energy for it. But I, I, so I was like, I got to do a review for this book. It's another Batman comic. And when you're looking at that, it's like, do we really need another Batman comic? And then the other thing is a Batman comic that's like out of continuity. So then the big question, the big annoying question is like, does this, will this book really matter? 
But because it's by Tom Taylor and Andy Kubert, I mean, that right there, it's almost like, like it's like a no-brainer. It's like, you got to read it because they are both awesome. And, you know, Andy Kubert has, has worked on so many awesome Batman stories, you know, Grant Morrison stories, whatever. And seeing his art, it's, it's just, it kind of brings back, like, memories, even though it's, like, not directly related to anything in particular. But it's, I, I think for me, it's almost like a nostalgic thing, like, thinking back, it's like, wow, those, I just remembered so many enjoyable stories with with this art and in tom taylor i'm just i'm always blown away with everything he does i mean every it's just like guaranteed that it's going to be good but with also with tom taylor while he does great characterization you know he does a lot of emotional scenes he also does some like kind of brutally like horrific things to the characters he like really puts them through the ringer and it's like it's not very nice but this is a good story because it kind of takes place a little bit in the future. So we kind of have a slightly older uh, Batman, you know, not quite haggard or whatever, but, you know, he's he's tired. His body's sore. He's, he's not quite the same. And it starts off with a Wayne Enterprise or Wayne Airlines plane kind of gets hijacked by these people. And they're wearing like they have like these white Batman masks and they, they want to destroy the whole plane. On this plane is what's her name? Beryl. Uh, she used to be Squire, so Knight and Squire. You might remember that from the Grant Morrison days and and from before. But she is now Knight. Uh, we saw that like Batman Incorporated, whatever. And she's on the plane, so she's trying to fight off these people. Uh, ends up flying, you know, they're like parachuting out of the plane, the hijackers, whatever. It, if you look at the preview page, it's like, it's like okay, what's going to happen to Beryl? It doesn't look too good. And so this is how Bruce Wayne gets like brought into it. And when he finds out, like, why was this plane targeted? You know, what, what is the specifics of this? And there's something it almost seems like it's not it wasn't like a random thing. Like, why were these people on this flight? So that that would be kind of like hard to to make that happen. But there, there's something definitely going on there. And at one point, you know, he gets involved like in this fight when and he kind of comments is like, oh, I just, you know, a couple, I just felt a couple ribs break because, you know, it's, he's not as young as he used to be, but, but also since he's a little older, it's almost like he's like a tank. It's, he's not quite like huge, like massive, like Dark Knight Returns type Batman, but he is a little bigger, you know, a little beefier and, and he's just like solid. So it's kind of cool seeing Batman fight because he has to fight a little differently because his body is a little different. You know, he's a little older. He's got a little more experience, but he also, he's not as young as he used to be. So it's, it's, I'm really intrigued with where this is going to go. And I, I like the story and I, I like that it's a different, you know, it's, it's, I kind of do like, while normally I would be like, oh, it's a future book, whatever, you know, especially with future state, you know, I wasn't super crazy about majority of those, those titles. And, you know, some of them were interesting, but you know, now that they're over, it's kind of like, well, I'm not going to really think about those anymore. I know some of them are kind of coming back and, you know, getting ongoing series and that, but this is different, you know, right away, we know it's a mini series and it's also cool because you don't have to worry about what's what's going on in the current Batman books or what's been going on the past couple months or the past year or whatever. You can just jump in here and it's like, this is an awesome book. And this is something like if you have a a friend or housemate or whoever, someone that you're trying to get to read, you might be like, hey, you should check this out. and Or even tell your friend, like, hey, you should go buy this comic because, you know, it's super accessible. 
So all that. <laughs> so it's good, in, in, in other words. Then we had Batman Urban Legends. I realize I'm probably talking too much about one particular comic, and I don't know if that's a good thing or not. Batman Urban Legends Issue 2. So this is kind of like the anthology book. There is a more in uh, Red Hood and Batman. This is part two of six. The story by Chip Zdarsky, Eddie Barrows, uh, and uh, Eber Ferreira. And, uh, the, oh, the Marcus Tolson does some art. There's, like, a flashback scene. Some uh, kind of brutal, not not really brutal, but some tough, like, flashback scene with Jason Todd. You know, like him or, or hate him or whatever, he, you know, he didn't have an easy life. So it's, it's interesting to see, like, what happens here. And the whole thing is Red Hood was trying to save this one woman who she kind of OD'd, and you realize that the the drug dealer responsible they have a kid together and and something kind of happens when he's confronting the father of this kid and, and then batman's going to come along and so it's it's a very very messy situation there is an oracle story ghost in the machine uh, this is by cecil castellucci and marguerite salvage i i, I dig the art in here and because this is more of a Barbara Gordon, you know, Oracle story, it's 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 cool seeing her. She actually goes mobile, you know. So while as Oracle, she's usually sitting in front of a computer, but she actually goes out. She's uh, going after this one character. I forget her name, but uh, she appeared recently. Just this other like hacker type type person, and uh, so it's kind of cool to see like how how she goes mobile, like what what she does. There is an Outsider, a P- Outsider Part 2 of 3. It's just by Brandon Thomas and Max Dunbar. Something about, uh, I don't know, I just, with the last last issue, I didn't really get into the story. And I so I, I didn't read this. I, I kind of skipped over those pages. And then there's Grifter, uh, The Long Con, Part 2 of 6. This is by Matthew Rosenberg. I love his writing. And Ryan Benjamin does art, which is, like, really cool. And we kind of see, like, a, you know, some flash, a flashback scene with Grifter, and just like, and then him working with you know as Lucius Fox's bodyguard and that, and I, I really like the character. I, I don't know what it is. Uh, you know, when he was uh, when I, I think back to like reading Wildcats for the first time, you know, there's just something cool about him. And I don't know if it was like the the typical the stereotypical attitude or whatever, but I I do I like the fact that he's kind of pulled into the the Batman corner of the DC universe, and I, I would like to see more of him. So I I'm, I'm digging this this story to see you know where this is going to go um then there was uh the joker right joker number two this is um something huge bombshell happens here so jim gordon you know he's he's been given an offer to go after the joker and he's like been offered resources and stuff like that he's going to get paid a lot of money but he's kind of debating. They basically, it's not just go after Joker. It's go after Joker and kill him. And, you know, he's just like, he's, he's considering it. And, you know, he like talks to Batman a little bit, but, you know, he doesn't tell him about the kill part. And, you know, so, you know, that, that's going to be a little awkward. And Batman wants to set Oracle up to kind of watch over him or help him out, like give him resources or whatever, you know, if he's going to go. That's where the bombshell comes up. So something between Oracle and Gordon is all I'll say. I mean, that's it's kind of obvious there, but it's 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 an interesting story. And now when I was reading this, I was like, wait, then how does this relate to the recent um, story in Batgirl where Commissioner Gordon had this like, you know, kind of like accusing Batgirl of of killing 
uh, James Jr. and stuff like that, and and it was just it was like this weird thing, but they they kind of address it a little bit. It kind of works. So okay, you know the the explanation kind of works. Oh, I just realized. Uh, see, I could could sworn this wasn't there like when I looked earlier, but I think this came out on Tuesday. Uh, the next Batman Second Son issue seven came out because it hasn't come out. It didn't come out last week. Let's see, last issue six came out on March thirtieth. Um, so it's been almost two weeks. So I'll have to read that and let you know next time. Rorschach issue seven. I don't know how I felt about this one. It's kind of like uh, Frank Miller is in this comic then, and he's like pulled into the story. And he was hanging out with the, the guy that was posing as Rorschach in the early in the series. And he's posing as Rorschach now or dressed up as Rorschach. And I, I don't know where this book is going. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm kind of curious, like, what is the, the goal or the direction of this story? Like, I, I don't know. Yeah, but I'll, I'll, I'll keep reading it to see. Maybe we'll find out. Superman issue 30. Um, so this is, well, I'm trying to remember what, what happened in this issue. Oh, so Superman, Superman gets, a, like, a distress call from an old alien friend, like, and he's, he's gonna go investigate to see hey what's up jonathan's like oh i'll go too and he's like all right and then he gets to this planet and they're like he's like i'm here because of so and so whatever and they're like well he's dead like he's been dead for a while and he so it's it's like if he's dead how did he get the distress call so it feels like there's something there's some conspiracy going on like was he really dead or was he killed or is there a cover-up like what what's the deal here and you know we're, we're seeing a, a little bit more going on there's also another backup story the tales of metropolis for some reason they're not really working for me so even though like we're getting glimpses of, of jimmy james olsen jimmy olsen whatever we have ambush bug in here uh, i think we see bibbo a little bit i i kind of didn't really read it and then Wonder Woman 771. I'm just, I'm not really digging this story because, you know, she's in Asgard for some reason and, you know, she doesn't really have her memory. And then all of a sudden, like, uh, Dr. Psycho's there and he's like, what are you doing here? And so at first I was like, is he, why she doesn't remember anything? But it kind of seems like he's not. Yeah, I, I I don't know what my problem is with the Wonder Woman comics lately. It's like, I, I want to enjoy it more, but it's just... I'm, it's just not not working for me, and I don't I don't know what the answer. Like, if I were to give a suggestion, not that my opinion you know matters, but I I don't know what I would want you know it it to go. So I don't know. I mean, because even like the, the the recent story with the Max Max Lord, I liked that at first, but it just felt like that went on too long, and it's also weird because of you know where Wonder Woman was supposed to ascend to be like a goddess or something like that, and then. In the like infinite frontier, and then she's like, "Oh no, I, I actually I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go back to to Earth and live a normal life." And then now she's in Asgard, and she's like a warrior, you know, fighting and doesn't have any memories of being on Earth. I don't know. At Marvel, we had a Black Hat issue five. So if you've been listening, you know I I really dig this series, and uh, I, I you know I've always liked I, I'm sure I've said this like probably like every time I've always liked Black Hat, but man this series is, is Jed McKay is just doing such a good job. I hated when uh, when Black Hat kind of became trying to be like this criminal whatever uh, 
not not a kingpin, but like mob, mob, whatever. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Remember, she was like evil and and running like her own crim- criminal empire. I think that's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> so I, I love that she's like back to normal, and you know I, I love her working with her crew, and uh, you know working with with Black Fox and stuff like that. But there's like some 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 pretty big stuff has happening here because you know she's going on this mission and you're still like working against uh, the the crime the um, thieves guild. <laughs> I don't know what what my problem is today. It's like I, I'm I'm losing it. Like my brain is not working. So they're trying to you know steal something from the the thieves guild and everything like that. And then it turns out, uh, Black Cat Felicia didn't quite have all the answers. There's like something else going on, and she's in for a bit of a shock. Children of Adam issue two. So this is by Vita Ayala and Bernard Chang, um, Arbe Silva, Arbe Silva. <laughs> so I, we're, it's this is interesting because there's a lot of the unknown and normally i'd be like like oh there's new characters i don't care about them you know why should i care but there, i am intrigued something about this book is making me care right away or making me interested so we're seeing the, these group of kids and and they they're it's almost like their suits and powers and code names are like an homage to the x-men you know, like original x-men for the most part but it just seems like wait what there's got to be something more going on because you know if they're mutants and it's like were they friends before they realized they had powers or because it, it just seems weird that they're all friends and you know they have these mutant powers or whatever and but then there's also the tension which uh, or the problem where they're drawing attention from the authorities and you know there's we're still dealing with bits of the dumb kamala law where young heroes can't operate in public without a mentor because it's it's like illegal or something like that so um captain america iron man and captain marvel show up at the krakowin at the x-men embassy type of thing and they're like something's got to be done with these kids and it's just like wait a minute you know like hey step off type of thing and it's funny because like mystique's there mystique and, and matt uh, a madrix a jimmy madrix and you know mystique's like not taking any attitude she doesn't care if she's talking to captain freaking america you know she's just like yeah you got a problem <laughs> type of thing but then like storm comes in and, and she's a little cold but you know it's like hey what's you know what this is your problem these are like your laws and if they're like well we we don't support the law but it is a law and, you know, so Storm's like, well, you know, maybe instead of coming talk to us, you should be talking to the people that made this law if you don't agree with it. But then we're seeing with the kids, they, they, they come and uh, Storm finds, catches up with them and again offers them a chance to, hey, you can come to Krakoa and, you know, you, you don't have to, you can go back to your families if you want, but we're, you know, we want to offer you this and, you know, have you check it out and everything. And she's like, and also there, there's something blocking, you know, Cerebro can't scan you guys. So I don't know if it's if it's super obvious, you know, like from the first issue when we have something, but I feel like the kids aren't mutants. So if they're not mutants, how did they get their powers? Because again, it's it feels like they're like because I think they even say they even say something about like mutant powers or like using or, or, or there's there's some way that they said it where it didn't sound like they actually were mutants or had mutant powers, but they were like like giving that impression i don't remember what exactly what it said but it kind of feels like you know they're they're big x-men fans 
and they want to be heroes and they all probably have their own personal reasons for risking their lives or trying to do all this but i feel like that they're not mutants and that's that's the main reason why they're not going to krakoa because they can't because they're not not mutants so we'll have to see but uh i love bernard Ching's art so you should be reading that then we have daredevil issue 29 so we kind of have two different stories going on so daredevil is still in prison uh you know he's been allowed to keep his mask on everything like that and where last issue ended is he realized he was poisoned he took a bite of, of some food and he's like, he's talking to the one um, other inmate dude who's, who's a nice guy. And he's like, I've just been poisoned, by the way. <laughs> so he, he only took a little bite. So he's hoping that it's not a big deal. And the dude's like, hey, do you want me to call a guard? He's like, no, 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 no. I was like, I'll be fine or something like that. And he's like, I just need some fresh air. So he goes out there. But then uh, he realizes, he's like, wait, where'd the guard go? And then he sees there's a bunch of other inmates coming to kill him and he also we see that like the warden is like in a, a guard tower or his office or whatever and he's just kind of watching so he's involved he's like okay let's let's get this done then the other part we have electra so she's posing or you know she's operating as daredevil as a daredevil in hell's kitchen and we have that new lady what's her name who's been the, designated as a kingpin by wilson fisk and Electra is like, well, you know, because there's some some dudes that are like uh, hustling businesses for like protection money, and she's like, no, <laughs> it's like Hell's Kitchen is is Daredevil's uh, territory. So she's Electra's like, you tell your boss that she needs to come to me for protection, type of thing. So there's going to be some tense situations going on there. Then we have uh, Dark Hawk, Heart of the Hawk issue one so this is supposed to be a 30th anniversary issue but it's like how come they're not making a big deal about dark hawk like they are deadpool but <laughs> so what we get here we get like three different stories there's a story by uh danny fingeroff uh dan abnett and kyle higgins and um like one takes place in the it's uh interesting like the the flashback story was it the first one i think it was the first one and, you know, we see Dark Hawk, like, fairly recently when he's got his powers. But then, I don't know if I'm just forgetting, but he, he there's this other dude that he kind of has a run-in with. And at the end of the story, we see the identity of that person. And I don't know if we always knew that, because that was like, it would be like a big deal for Dark Hawk. And if they're just going to throw it at it, they can't just be, surprise, <laughs> you know, after all these years. So I don't know if I just totally forgot about this revelation from back then. And then with the, the, the current one, things don't look too good for, for Chris Powell, for, for Dark Hawk. And it almost looks like they're trying to set up someone else becoming Dark Hawk, which is just like, why? It's like, okay, that could be interesting. Like reboot Dark Hawk. And, you know, not have to worry about... Because, like, with current Dark... I don't know how... He, I, I'm not really digging it so much. You know, it kind of doesn't have the, the same feel as when Darkhawk first came out. I mean, I really enjoyed it. If we do get someone new to become Darkhawk, which, you know, that happens all the time. And, I don't know, maybe hard, hardcore Darkhawk fans would have a problem with it. I would be kind of open to someone else being Darkhawk to, to see what could be done. I'm not saying I'm 100% in favor of it. But it wouldn't like upset me, you know. It'd be different if, if like, there's like, okay, someone we're gonna get rid of Mark Spector and someone else is gonna be Moonlight. 
and be like, forget you. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. I don't know. Fantastic Four. Oh, I want to say Disney Kingdoms. There's a Big Thunder Mountain Railroad new new uh, printing. Uh, it has Big Thunder Rail- Mountain Railroad one through five. It also has Enchanted Tiki Room ish, uh, one through five. So it's like a double si- sized trade. I'm kind of bummed that it's, it's reprinted because the the Big Thunder Railroad trade has a quote for me on the cover. So a fun adventure with one of the most entertaining leading ladies to hit comics in a while. <laughs> I can't remember. I even said that. I don't remember so much what happened in this comic, but this was a, uh, when was this from 2015? So yeah, I wrote a review. So I was like, like, cool, you know, front cover quote on that. So if you can find an old copy of big thunder mountain road, and this is a, the Disney park ride inspired story, whatever. So there's a new trade that has Big Thunder Mountain Railroad and Enchanted Tiki Room. But if you can find the original trade from 2015, there's Tony Guerrero comic vine quote. doesn't say Tony Guerrero, but a comic vine quote on, on the cover. So anyways. Uh, Fantastic Four issue six, issue 30, not 60. Issue 30 came out. This is a kind of a weird issue because like almost like, I, I don't know if it was half. Maybe it felt like it was more than half is dealing with, uh, King in Black and it's just like wait we're done with that that ended last week I don't need to read more King in Black so in here uh, with this part uh, the thing and Human Torch have been infected so then they're all being nasty or making mean comments to the others and stuff like that but one thing I was like I was like wait how can the Human Torch be like symbiotified or whatever because <laughs> uh, the symbiotes don't like fire and Human Torch is completely on fire. But he's somehow has like a symbiote controlling him or something. And then it kind of jumps forward like a few months later or something like that. And it's like, you know, the aftermath and, and you know, trying to settle things. But one thing that bothers me. So what we found out recently is like Sue, um, Sue Richards has been kind of stalking or following Johnny around. So Johnny is with, you know, he has his soulmate. This from another planet, blah, blah. I'm not even going to go into that. This is what happened fairly recently. So she's on Earth and everything. And Johnny found out that she's kind of like spying on it, you know, whatever. And he didn't approve of that. And she's like, well, I'm your big sister and I'm just looking out for you and stuff like that. So what their suits, whatever, I think, I don't remember if Reed did it, but they have like tracker, like his tracker app where you can look and you can see where the other members of the team are and so forth, you know, in case you need to go to them or whatever. So uh, Johnny and, and, is her name Sky? They're like like talking. He I felt like he called her something else here. It's like, I thought her name was Sky, But they're like talking. He's like, wait a minute. And he's like, okay, okay, yeah, Sue's across town. And he's like, yeah, you really mean a lot to me. And I want to, you know, I'll say this stuff. And then we find out Sue's still there creeping because she, she wasn't wearing her, her uniform that has a tracker in it. So Sue is now a, a creepy creeper who is like, your brother is an adult. He's been friggin' married. Yeah, he married a Skrull who he thought was... Ben Grimm's longtime girlfriend, but he's still an adult. I don't know. <laughs> so there's that. Guardians of the Galaxy issue 13. We're, we're seeing a kind of sort of like a, a little reboot. A new age of space starts here. 
So uh, the Guardians have kind of been giving a little more recognition and stuff like that. But then what happens at the end is like Doctor Doom shows up. It's like, wait, how does this play into anything? So, I, I mean, I, I enjoyed this more than I've been enjoying like some of the previous issues. But we'll, we'll see where it goes. Uh, Iron Man issue eight. I'm really not enjoying this Korvac storyline and I feel you know we're in issue eight now and it's still going on and it's also like like where the heck is Iron Man I don't even think he was in this issue Hellcat kind of is she's like Moon Dragon ends up talking to her she's like I'm gonna get like amplify your telepathic powers or whatever latent abilities you have and so we get some like interesting flashbacks or whatever stuff like that but I, I don't know. I'm, I I loved the first issue, and I was really digging. I was really hopeful, but I just I'm ready for this story to go on. And I don't know if it's just the the insulting treatment of Scarlet Spider, which I mean I I I feel like I should just like stop reading that because I mean that was just I did not like that. I would say that that was garbage treatment. The way he was just so incredibly. Ins- don't get me started. I'm gonna yeah. Anyways, a Maestro War and Pax issue four. So Maestro dealing with a Pantheon who kind of tricked Hulk into turning back into Banner. They want to stop him and stuff like that. But uh, obviously, we know how it's that it's not going to work. And uh, Maestro's he's he's kind of a clever dude, and you know he's going to try to get the upper hand over them. Um, oh, I realized, I just realized, I never finished reading. I don't think I finished reading Nonstop Spider-Man issue two. It popped up early on by accident last week. So I, I downloaded it off the, a Marvel app. And then I noticed, I was like, wait, it's gone. Where'd it go? Cause I'm looking into the, cause I always go to the new releases. And then I went into my, my list, my books or my downloads. And I saw, I was, I was like, Oh, there it is. And then I looked up, I looked at the, the page on there and it's like, oh no, it comes out on the 14th. So they accidentally released it early. And I saw, so I, I kind of put off reading it. I was like, okay, it's not out this week. But then once I read through all the comics, I was like, okay, I'm going to start reading this, get a little upper hand, a little ahead for next week. And then I forgot to, to finish reading it. So I can't tell you anything about it. <laughs> Power Pack issue five. Um, this, if, I think, this is the last issue, and so basically, the team were they were tricked by the wizard into giving up their powers, type of thing. He like stole their powers. This is it tied a little bit in with uh, Kamala's law, where you know they're supposed to be with an adult hero, and there was this new dude that was willing to work with them, but it was really the wizard in disguise or posing, whatever. With the help of Wolverine or Wolverine, they're gonna trick Wizard into thinking that they still have their powers that they didn't give him all his powers or whatever. So they stage this fight with Wolverine, but he's Wolverine, Wolverine's evil brother, and and then they're gonna try to fight the Wizard to try to get their powers back. Uh, then uh, Spider Man, <laughs> the Spider's Shadow, issue one. This is by Chip Zdarsky and Pasquale Ferry. Um, Nick Phil Noda does a cover. Uh, this is basically a what-if story, and it's uh, what if... Okay, yeah. What if Peter Parker became Venom? And I feel like, you know, maybe we've seen this story before. Like, you know, what if, what if Spider-Man bonded with the symbiote, or what if he didn't give it up, or, you know, whatever. But I, this is a... How many issues is this? I feel like it's 
four issues. I don't remember how what it is, but it's kind of nice because a lot of times with the more recent What If comics, I mean, I loved What If when I first started reading comics. And I remember uh, just, I, I think when I started reading it, like the series was over or just about over or whatever. And I remember going to the comic store, man, it was like heaven looking into long boxes at the back issues because back issues, they felt like they were so much cheaper back then. And even on I mean, comics in general, cheaper. So it's like, even though I didn't have as much money as I have now, it's like I was able to buy more comics uh, or buy more comics like reasonably. And I just remember just loving these what if stories because they were, I, I felt like they were fresh and unique and they were just like well told and they're, they're just really fun and exciting. And as the years go on, I just felt like we've seen, like we almost had like had too many what if stories. Because, you know, as we would get like a second volume and then miniseries or whatever, or just like other alternate stories. But a lot of times it's like the more recent ones. And, and maybe it's also like the Exiles, which I, I, I love the Exiles comic. But in, in a sense, it was like, okay, let's go to these other Marvel Earths or whatever in the multiverse where things are a little different. And it, it kind of felt like what if where it was being mixed in there. So a lot of the stories just you'd read it and be like, okay that yeah whatever and they weren't really as impactful so with this being a mini series it's it's like okay there's more room to breathe more room to tell a story it's not like you know you only have 20 something pages to set up the hook you know to veer off from this one event tell the the tragic and that's the other thing it's like all the stories ended in tragedy so it's like no matter how bad uh, Dark Phoenix Saga was or Secret Wars or whatever if something else would have been different it would have been a million times worse we'll see what, what happens here but um, yeah it, it kind of takes like a dark turn and uh, we'll have to see what happens so so I, I enjoy I mean I, like, I love Zdar- Zdarsky's writing I think he's great and I'm really curious to see this story be allowed to be fleshed out further instead of just being crammed into one comic. So, um, then there's Star Wars Bounty Hunters. Bounty Hunters? And I just, I don't care about this Valens dude, this cyborg guy, and uh, yeah, I couldn't really get too excited about that. Uh, Thor issue 14. This is uh, the finale of Prey, and, you know, Odin is in town, you know, because Jane went to get him. And you know he's ready to deal with with Donald Blake, but then Thor is like, no, he's like, I will deal with him, whatever. And so we have this big battle and stuff like that. So it was it was fine. Um, Wolverine issue eleven. Uh, I not wasn't too too excited about this. I mean, it's it feels like this has been kind of going on for a while, like the Wolverine and the vampire Dracula story. And Omega Red, I still don't know what the heck Omega Red is doing. Is Omega Red completely evil or not? Because you know the whole thing is you're not supposed to kill humans, but I feel like he has been killing humans. And the other, the X Men are like, okay, we're gonna track Omega Red. He doesn't know it. We're gonna see what he's doing. And yeah, just Dracula. I, I just I don't care for Dracula in the Marvel comics or whatever. Any comics maybe, but uh, we have some nice art. Really nice art, so I like that. And then there's Thor and Loki Double Trouble. So this is by Mariko Tamaki and Guri Hero. This comic is such a delight. I feel like 
you know, what's what's the age in this? This is nine plus, so it's a little more of an all age, not quite all age comic, but it's just uh, it's just such a fun comic. I mean, it's I love Guri Hero's art. I mean, as you know, Gwenpool is one of my favorites. Uh, unbelievable Gwenpool, I love that, and a big I think a big part of it is because of Guri Hero's art. And, you know, it's just, I love this, just the character fleshed out and everything like that. So we're seeing um, Thor and Loki here. It's 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 just really fun. So I would recommend it if you want something a little lighter, just not as heavy and dark. Because, you know, Thor is, gets pretty grim. So if you wanted something a little different or something for the younger people in your life, you know, it's definitely, we should be supporting books like this. Because I love having this out there, you know, just the possibility of this. Because it's, it's just really good. And that is going to be your comics for the week. Okay, The Flash, Season 7, Episode 7, Growing Pains. So this episode, this was a, I, I like this episode, and maybe because it, it was a little more focused on Frost and, and Caitlin. And um, I hate to say it, because unfortunately Cisco wasn't in this episode, but fortunately they, that meant that Cisco and Chester couldn't do their conversations about whatever random pop culture reference that, I mean, there was some, <laughs> but that came up, but it was kind of like a one-sided thing. And, and Barry's like, Hey, we need to focus. <laughs> so with, with this episode, Barry comes home, he has like some breakfast takeout. I don't know where he was at, whatever. But then it turns out there's like a big meal waiting. Uh, Speed Force Norris like cooking in the kitchen. She's got all this stuff, and he seems a little disappointed. It's like, I mean, if if I came home and there was like, I love breakfast, and if there was like a big breakfast meal cooking, I'd be like, yeah. And if if I happened to, he had a small takeout bag too, so it's not like he had a huge thing. It's like maybe it was a couple like bagel sandwiches or something in there. I'd be like, okay, that can sit in the fridge, or I'll eat that for lunch, whatever, even if it's cold. So, anyways. Uh, then you know she's like yeah yeah have, have a mimosa or something like that so he picks up like the the little the jar of it and then his hand starts vibrating and then picture shatters and it's like all over him then he's like actually i think i'm good <laughs> so it's like he's upset because he shattered the the thing of orange juice and whatever vodka but he does mention uh that there's they have there's no signs of the other forces you know there's no hits on, on the isotopic signatures or whatever and speed force nor is like you know she's like well i don't want to be a burden on anyone or whatever and i was like oh no you're not she's like in a weird way you know you're like part of the family and barry's like he like he like has some reaction whatever and they're like are you okay he's like oh yeah whatever and then speed force nor says that you know she's kind of been enhancing barry's powers because you know he's going to need to be amped up if the other forces come and everything so she's like i'm like your battery now and then he's like okay whatever and he's like i gotta go to work and she's like well i'll go with you he's like no no no, that'll be fine because you know i gotta do csi stuff and you know it really doesn't make sense and like how do you even explain who this this lady is like this is my mom she doesn't quite look like she's old enough to be my mom maybe i mean she looks good for however but the thing is she died when barry was a kid so she looks like what barry or what her his mom looked like when she was a kid i don't know how old she is compared to the grant gustin but anyways so he's like like no 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 so then uh, it cuts to Cecile. She's reading Frost's charges. She has one count of aggravated assault, one count attempted murder, two counts kidnapping. It's like, okay, those are, yeah, those are bad charges, but I mean, maybe to aggravated assault. It's like, it doesn't seem attempted murder. 
you know, that can be argued or something like that. Kidnapping. So uh, apparently that the, the CCPD dropped their investigation when Frost started helping people, but the state never dropped their charges. So Kristen Kramer has everything she needs to send Frost to Iron Heights, I guess, because of that. I mean, I don't know. Aggravated assault. How aggravated is the aggravation? <laughs> you know, attempted murder. The murder wasn't actually committed. And maybe, you know, you could try to argue against that. And kidnapping. Uh, and like, who did she kidnap? Anyways, so Cecile's advice as her attorney is for her to lay low. And, and Frost is upset because, you know, she just got her life, you know, on her own. And now she can't live it or something like that. And Caitlin's like, well, you know, it might not be fair, but, you know, it's her best option right now. So then uh, Chester, he starts like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. Oh my gosh. He gets his first tech call. Because Cisco and Camilla are like they're out of town or something like that, and he's the the one tech consultant that the CCPD has. So he's like, I wonder what's going to be. Is it going to be this? You know, the code, or whatever. He's like, it's a ten thirty five, and he does a little dance. It's a ten thirty five. It's a ten. It's like, why does he do these little dances or whatever? And it's like, and and you know, for the rest of us, like, what the heck is a ten thirty five? I don't need. Is there a ten thirty five? Okay, I just looked it up. I don't know if there is. Uh, 1035 there's a 1045 which is wait what is the condition of a patient is the patient is good there's a 1030 no not 1030 1035 is like taxes 1031 is a crime in proc anyways what's a 1035 so uh chester rushes to the scene there was a, a delivery van was full of tech and it was hit by an ice blast and the driver was killed and then Kristen Kramer comes in and she's like, looks like Killer Frost was busy. And Joe's there. He tries explaining. He's like, well, you know, there are other people that, that use ice attacks like Leonard Snart. Uh, and then Chester is like, you know, he's examining some stuff. He's got like a device, a detect dark matter detector. And he's like, the levels are off the chart. You know, he has he doesn't want to say it, but he has to. And then Barry's like, he looks at it. He's like, but the ice signature is different. You know, he's like, these... These crystals are kind of like tree branches, whatever, uh, but Killer Frosts are hexagonal. And then he tells Kramer, he's like, you know, I've, I've worked her, her crime scenes and she's never killed anyone. And Kramer's like, until now, apparently. <laughs> so she is, you know, says she's going to pull a ring since Frost is still out there. So she's going to go to DA to get a warrant for her arrest. And Joe's like, okay. So Chester uh, goes back to Star Labs to talk to Frost. You know, she's, she's like in the gym working out with Allegra. And uh, he says that there's a new ice meta in town who killed someone, and Kristen Kramer thinks it's her. So then Allegra's like, okay, yeah, great. You know, so she kind of gets um, Chester to leave, and then she asks Frost, she's like, what's your plan? And she's like, well, I'm going to ride a few miles on the bike or whatever. And she's like, she's like, no, no, no. She's like, I spent five years in Iron Heights. She's like, I can tell when someone's planning to make a move. And she's like, you're going after the ice meta, aren't you? She's like, I want to go with you. And Frost is like, no. She's like, you know, this is, this is my thing. And, you know, there are some places that team – Flash can't go. And Allegra was like, well, I can talk, you know, I, I stole cars or whatever. I, I can, you know, whatever. But Frost is like, you know, she's going to go by herself. So then uh, Barry's still at, at the scene. Kramer's uh, talks to him and she's like, you know, you must have seen a lot of strange cases. And he's like, yeah. And, you know, he says, yeah, I've seen a, you know, a lot of dark matter stuff. And he's like, but this ice only has it on the surface. And then she, Kramer's like, okay, you know, keep me posted or whatever. And she leaves. And then boom, like, Speed Force Nora shows up and kind of like startles Barry. And she's like, Kramer, you know, she's like, she admires you. You know, she's like, I guess she's like listening in or something like that. 
And she says that she can feel the particles inside the ice are compacted or constrained. And Barry's like, yeah, almost like on a molecular level. He's like, I need to get this ice back to the lab. And then he, he zips off. Or, but you know he but then he's like he's gone he didn't mean to but it's like he just takes off and then he like comes back but he kind of bumps Kristen's car while she's in there and she's like looks in her side mirror and and buries her and she's like what are you doing and he's like oh i was looking for his footprints here or something like that and then he makes an excuse like he takes out a pen he's like oh this is like whatever footprint detector i forget what he says like that she's like oh that's you know high-tech equipment there so, you know, he has to make up this excuse to her. It's, like, kind of silly. But then uh, Frost goes to that shady bar. I guess she used to work. I think she used to work there, right? And, you know, she's looking for information. So uh, some someone something was taken from Ivo Labs. And then she's like, oh, turn up the TV. Because on, on the news, Kramer's on the news already. And she said, she's saying that there's a $100,000 reward leading for information leading to the arrest of Killer Frost. And then as soon as this happened... A bunch of dorks at the bar, you know, a bunch of thugs or whatever, they start cre- circling, creeping behind her. So they, they try fighting her, and the bartender dude, he's just kind of like watching and he's like helping himself to drink. I would think, like, you're a bartender, you're not allowed to drink, but you know, you always see that happening. So then, uh, you know, she's fighting and, and, you know, dealing with him, no problem. But then, like, the last, there's this last guy sneaking up on her, and then the bartender hits him in the head with a bottle, whatever. But then, and she's like, oh, I had him, whatever. But then he has to take his shirt off because it got wet. <laughs> and, of course, he's, like, super fit and everything like that. And she's kind of staring at it. And I think he's like, why don't you take a picture? She's like, yeah, whatever. You know, she tries playing it off. And then as she leaves, he's like, you know, there is a new meta in town who has a thing for experimental tech. And, you know, he usually holds up at this whatever place, this warehouse or something like that. So it's like he just happens to know the address and everything. It's like, okay, I guess you're a bartender, so you would have this information. Chester refers to uh, Kramer, Kramer's reward, the $100,000. He ca- calls it like a John Wick Parabella move or something like that. He's like, oh, but that was a great movie. And Barry's like, yeah, you know, I, th- I think we need to focus. I mean, it's funny because, like, Barry, he, he's just, he has, he like he doesn't get mad or anything, but he's just, like, not even going to entertain any sort of, like, distraction or something like that. So they're they're sitting there waiting because the computer's, like, trying to analyze all this data and, and stuff like that. And it's it's just, you know, a, a lot of work to do. But then Speed Force Nora shows up uh, because she could sense that he was frustrated. And then Chester, start, he asked her something like that about, like, how her powers were. And then he, he figures out somehow he does a computation because he knows everything about how the Speed Force works, apparently. But he's, like... He, he figures it'd be possible for Nora to crunch their numbers. And Barry's like, no, he's like, this is our job. We need to do this ourselves, you know? And then all of a sudden Barry's hands start shaking and then he starts zipping around a room and everything's like, you know, paper flying and stuff like that. And then when he stops, like the computer's fried and Nora's like, what, what did you do? And he's like, we you just lost everything. He's like, what did I do? He's like, I didn't lose the data that would clear one of our friends. And, you know, he says that, she did it just by being there. You know, she shouldn't have been there or whatever. And she's like, well, I'm just trying to help. He's like, yeah, but I didn't ask your help. And he's like, you know, you chose me to be your hero. Let me be the hero. And he's just like, you know, kind of kind of lays into her, and, you know, not super mean or anything like that. But then she, so she just like zips off. And then he hears some like radio chatter. So there's like a bunch of like police, like in like riot gear or whatever, like walk outside Barry's office. So they apparently have a lead on, on Killer Frost. So Chester tries calling Frost, but there's no answer. So he calls Allegra. And she's like, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, Frost is with me. And she's like, okay, I'll give her the message to say put. But Frost isn't there. So she tries calling Frost herself. Frost shows up at the warehouse. 
and she just like knocks the door down, like freezes it, knocks it down. So it's you know not a very subtle entrance. There's this camera that with like a, a red scanner thing is like like the light like shining down her, and she's just like looking at it. You think you would like blast the the this camera sensor thing before it would even touch or scan her before you complete it. But the, she gets goes in the other room and the place is like empty. She's like, like what the heck? So then uh, we see Kramer. She shows up at Caitlin's apartment and she says she has an, a warrant for her arrest. Joe is there and there's this other lady too. And she's like, who are you? She's like, I'm with the MHE, which is like mental health evaluation or something like that. And then Joe has to put like cuffs on her and he reads her her rights. So Joe's like, okay, you're under arrest, Caitlin. So Cecile's talking to Caitlin and Joe's in a room. Uh, Kramer didn't find anything incriminating in her apartment. And then Cecile's like, you know, when the, the blood test, the results will come up as negative for the metagene and she'll be forced to let you go. Because, you know, since they separated, there's nothing in her system now. So, the, but then Caitlin says, well, how did they know to come after me? And Cecile's like, you know, it was, it was a anonymous tip. So either she got really lucky or Joe's like, or someone knows that Frost used to be you. So Joe apologized because, you know, Kramer wouldn't let him know or wouldn't tell him where the task force was headed. So he's like, I'm going to go talk to her. While Caitlin and Cecile are there, Frost calls. And she's she's like, tell tell Caitlin to stand away from the north wall or whatever like that because she's going to bust her out. And she puts her on, on speakerphone. And, she, you know, Caitlin and, and Cecile are, like, talking her down. It's like, you can't do this. And, and Frost's like, well, you shouldn't be there, you know. And Frost is like, well, you shouldn't have to deal with this either or whatever. So they, they talk her out of it. And then, you know, as they're talking, Frost's like, I figured out who framed us or something like that. So Joe catches up with Kramer as she's leaving, like, the building, you know, because she's like, well, I'm in a hurry, you know, of course. He's like, you acted and you mobilized my task force and you went after someone, you know, who's innocent based off a phone call. He's like, I never would have authorized that. He's like, you know, someone's trying to frame them and, you know, Frost helped save the city and, you know, Frost has saved me. And she's like, yeah, that may be the case, but she's still a criminal. So Barry comes home. Apparently, Nora's been holed up in the bedroom since she, she got back. And Iris is like, she's like turning into a person. And Barry's like, yeah, she's not human. You know, she's, she just powers me, his, you know. And Iris is like, you know, whatever he, she was before, she's more now. You know, of course she would know. She goes on and on about how things changed between her and her dad when she came back from college. You know, she's like, I was a different person. We came back, we got in different. So it's like all this stuff. Like, it's all about Iris. You know, she's making this connection and stuff like that. And then Chester Texberry, he has a, a lead on a new meta. So he's like, I got to go. And she's like, yeah. So at Star Labs, it turns out uh, it wasn't dark matter that they detected. It was like a half-life variant. So the person isn't a meta. They're, they're like, well, where is Frost, by the way? And then Allegra has to tell him that, that she isn't there. So then <laughs> she's like, she's out looking or whatever. She's on the run or looking for the person. And Chester's like, she went full fugitive. I wonder if they get paid. <laughs> it's like, mention this movie and we'll pay you $5 or I don't know. So Frost goes back to the bar to talk to the bartender dude, Mark. And she wants a reason why she shouldn't live up to her name as Killer Frost. you know. And he's like, because Caitlin wouldn't like it. So he pours a couple drinks, whatever. And he's like, well, go ahead, ask away. You know, it's like, how, how did, you know, I know you're related or whatever. He's like, I'm an observant guy. You know, I've been studying your fight. And she's like, oh, you're stalker much or something like that. And he's like, you know, I only needed you at the warehouse so I could do a full neurogenetic scan. 
And she's like, so you're just a thief. And he's like, no, I'm not a thief because the chip that there's this computer chip that was stolen, but apparently he made it. He invented it. He was a cryogenesis at Ivo Labs and they didn't agree with his idea of testing the chip or whatever on humans. So he talks about uh, like when he was a kid, he fell in ice when he was like nine or something like that. And then he died. But then, you know, he was revived. So he's like, the ice holds the power of life and death and it's clearly wasted on you. And, you know, so he, he apparently his name is Mark Blaine. And she's like, oh, yeah, if that's your, your real name, he's like, it is. But you can call me Chill Blaine. <laughs> so then he he's like he's got some something like I don't know how he made the, the ice powers work if he injected himself. But then like his hands kind of go black and he shoots out like a blast of like ice at her. It kind of sends her flying, but then, you know, she stops herself from hitting the wall behind her with some ice blasts, lands on the ground, shoots him, he dodges, and she shoots some more, and he does, like, this flampy, fancy flip jump to avoid more more blasts, so it's like, how is he so agile now just because he has, he replicated her powers? It's like, was he always this, I mean, the guy was fit, but he doesn't quite, I don't know, he's like, I just, whatever, <laughs> don't worry about it, right? So there's more fighting. And then they get close to, to each other. So then they start switching to hand in hand instead of trying to blast each other. And every once in a while, it's like they'll, they'll like grab each other and, and just like stop and like stare at each other. It's kind of like cheesy. Like it's almost like he does something and it's like he's he's like dipping her like they're dancing. And then she turns around and flips over and then she gets him and then she kind of like dips him and looks in, in his face. So then they're fighting and she's like, you're fighting like a boy. And then he blasts her and he hits her in the face. And there's like like snow covering her her eyes, and she can't see. He's like, looks like you're snow blind now, and he he's like talking to her, so she can't really see anything. And she's you know as he's talking, she'll like shoot, but it's like okay, he's talking, you shoot where he's talking, but then somehow I mean, is he super fast now too? Because you know he he zips around and and she just can't hit him, and then uh you know then she's outside. Or he's outside. Then he's like, he ends up behind her and he's like, grabbed a hold of her. And she's got like a, she makes a big icicle and she's like about to stab him, but he stops her or something like that. And then she does something. How does she get it from there? But then it's like in front of her and she makes it grow. So it stabs, goes through her and stabs him. And she's like, well, you know, because one of her abilities, she has ice healing, which I haven't even heard of that before. So he's on the ground, whatever. Barry and Allegra show up just at this, this time. And then uh, Frost is like, oh, can you help me out? So then Allegra, I, I don't even know what Allegra, her powers are. I thought it had something to do with radio waves. But apparently her powers, she waves her hand in front of uh, uh, Frost's eyes and she makes the ice go away, like melt or whatever. And so she's talking about this dude, Mark Blaine, um, Chill Blaine, and she's got you know his confession on the phone or whatever like that. And and Barry's like, your flash is like Chill Blaine. It's a good thing Cisco wasn't here to hear that or something like that. But then Kramer shows up. You know she's she's outside, and you know she's like you're under arrest. You have two minutes to comply. So Barry like takes off his his cowl and he's like, well I'll go out there and and turn over Chill Blaine. But then Frost is like, you know I may not have killed the driver, but I'm not innocent. She's like, I have to go out there myself. And she's like, you know, if, if I'm going to prove that I've, I've changed, I have to own up to it. And Allegra's like, no, you can't do that. She's like, you know, I've been to jail. You know, jails don't make people better. They're hell and all this stuff. She's like, you can't go because, you know, Allegra's like ready to fight. But, you know, she's like, no, you got to go. So Frost goes out there and, and she gets arrested. 
So Cecile calls Barry in the morning. Caitlin's back home. Uh, she's trying to get Frost out on bail before her sentencing. And Iris is like, she's like, what about her trial? Well, apparently Frost pleaded guilty. So whatever happens next is up to the judge. And then Speed Force Nora shows up. Barry talks to her. You know, Iris leaves. And uh, Barry's like, you know, he, he says, I'm sorry. You know, I get that you've changed. You know, you're not the Speed Force that I knew. You know, you're becoming something else. He's like, and I, you know, I'd like to get to know you better. So then, and he's like, and look, no more handshaking or something like that. So then they're like, okay, now we can take on the other forces. And that's where the episode ends. And I was, I was like waiting for like kind of, cause usually there's like this, like a final scene often, but there wasn't with this episode. And then what we find out or what I find out, you know, I was like, is, is there uh, scenes for next week? They're, they're showing that Frost is going to get sentenced, but it's off for two weeks. It comes back on May 4th. Yeah, next couple weeks, next couple episodes, there'll be no Flash talk. So uh, what am I going to talk? I guess I just talk about everything else, including Bird Girl. I guess I'll still talk about this. I don't know how I... Uh, so second episode of Bird Girl, maybe it was a little better than the first. You know, I, I maybe, maybe, I don't know. Bird Girl, if you didn't listen to last week... You know, Bird Girl is uh, this dude, Phil Kinsebin's daughter. He's apparently dead. So she's now the CEO of his company. Harvey Birdman used to work at the law firm company. It's like, it's a weird company that it's a law firm, but he owns, uh, does other investment, business venture stuff. So Harvey, uh, I think he's still dead, you know, because in the last episode he kind of died, but then there was that. Harvey Birdman, Attorney General, where he was back. So there's no mention of him. So she's the, she's there, and so she's in her office as the CEO office. And there's this big line outside. Meredith, the mind taker, is is there, which I still want to know where she came from. What happened to Mentok? Meredith gives uh, Judy this big fancy box, and there's a pen in there. It has like this big Earth magnet, this w- w- weird magnet thing in there. And it's payday, so people start walking in because they want their ch- their checks or whatever. And then like this dark portal opens above the office, and Brian, the the toilet dude from last episode, he's he's there. He's like, I had a GoPro, but then her, you know, he filmed like where he went or something like that. But her magnet pen shorted out or whatever. So she's still signing stuff, and there's like this tension between Meredith and Judy for some reason. And you know, Meredith, she says that you know she signs stuff that Judy does because she's her backup in case she messes up. And Judy's like, well, how come I don't have to, you know, be, be your backup? And she's like, well, because I don't, I don't mess up because I'm a mind taker or whatever. So there's this tension between the two as to like, you know, who's better type of thing. They're supposed to be friends, but yeah, it's just 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 kind of weird. And she gets this gift basket from this uh, other CEO, and there's like this talking mechanical bear in there, and he, it, it says that it's he's a share bear, and he wants her to talk because he's a thera bear, so like a therapy bear. Um, one of the, the subplots in this episode, her receptionist, Jillian, uh, wants to ask her if she can get her tea or coffee or anything like that. And Judy's like, well, whatever you think is best. And she's like, whatever I think is best. And then she like leaves, gets on a plane or train and goes like to Japan. And there's this, like this whole story where she's like meeting with this dude and it's like no, no words are being spoken. I'll, I'll get, come back to that. So Judy goes to the share bear office and the, the CEO dude, his name is Etan. Uh, he says that the bear offers affordable health care 
but he, you know, he wants to test them out, but he doesn't have loads of disgruntled employees. And Judy's like, I have tons of those. So then the other guy says that, you know, if, so they, they 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 basically do this presentation. You know, they they come and Etan's talking about like all the the benefits and stuff like that. And um, she called this meeting, but she didn't tell Meredith right away, or I think she just sent her a memo. So she kind of comes in onto it, and she so she wants to team up with them and and invest in their company type of thing. And then uh, Etan, you know, because they're they're a little some people are questioning it. Etan's like like Judy's so sure of this investment, she's putting up twenty percent of her stock. And Judy's like, I am, and they're like, yeah. And then you know Meredith, meanwhile, is like trying to slow her down because you know in, in case this isn't a, a good idea. So Etan talks to like uh, Judy's employees, and you know because they seem to have so much rage. You know, it's a perfect place to launch your product and all this stuff. So then Brian, he's talking to Sharebearer, and it keeps like pushing him, trying to get him to talk more. So I was like, is it like recording your know, their conversation? Is this gonna be like incriminating stuff? Like what, what's what's going on here? Um, Paul, the masseuse dude, you know, he's, he's giving his share bearer like a massage and then he, he's like, you know, and he's like talking about some stuff and then he, he basically wants a share bearer to, he's like, well, how are you doing? And share bearer is like, no one's ever asked me that. And then, so he keeps like, uh, like pushing it, trying to get it to talk. He's like, and he gets real close and the share bearer is like, uh, I think you're in my personal space. And he's like, oh, I just want you to share so I can eat your pain or something like that. And it starts like freaking out. It's like so much that the share bear's head explodes. It was like too much counter therapy. I don't know. Uh, Meredith and uh, Charlie are talking. And then uh, Charlie, Chaz, whatever, she suggests that Meredith take uh, Etan out to lunch to get in, to know him. Because, you know, maybe he's not a bad guy or whatever. You know, he could be, he's trying to do good things. So they go out to lunch and then she does, she goes, takes a trip like inside his brain. And it, it turns out he is trying to take over the company. And I think I think he was working with Mc, Dog McBucket Hat or whatever. And then, you know, I was, he's, he's like, just sign over to 20% of her shares or, or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, and then we, you know, there's more about Jillian going to Japan um, to get this perfect tea or whatever. Etan, uh, at one point, they make him go through this, like, fake security scanner. And there's, like, this cardboard box that's supposed to be the scanner. So he has to put the his share bear in it because he has his, everyone has their own share bear. So Etan's share bear goes in there and Meredith replaces Etan's bear. Because in, in when she was in his mind, there was this video where you like lift up the right arm and then the leg and then you do this and then you go up the, the poop hole or whatever. You know, It's supposed to be like this series of moves to unlock the share bear that like it replays what was said. So she takes, gets his, his share bear and she does the move to try to get it to um, talk to find out like what he's up to if they can, you know, use that against him. But then it, it instead of his share bear talking, it's like all the share bears start doing this. So then Meredith's like, oh, did I just mess up or something like that? So all employees, they start freaking out because their share bears are talking about like all the, their private stories, therapy sessions, whatever. And then Brian comes up, ends up pushing like Etan over the railing in a lobby. They were like on a second floor because, you know, all employees are down there and like all this crazy stuff. And then Meredith admits that, you know, it it wasn't Judy's fault that all this stuff happened or whatever. So they realize they need to stop the bears from leaving the building because the bears will share all their secrets. So they have to gather them all up or whatever like that. Then Jillian arrives with the tea bag. Um, and I think it was at one point, I don't, she might have had a baby with this tea dude in Japan because he he has like a, a baby in his arm or something like that when she leaves her. 
whatever. So uh, then she has her hot water. She puts a, the tea bag in her and hands it to Judy. And, you know, Judy's still at, at her, her desk. She takes it, but then she sets it down. She's like, no, I wanted coffee. So it's like all that stuff. And she didn't even drink the tea. But whatever. And then uh, then at the end, e- Etan's getting surgery by his, the share bears or something like that. And then he, he's, I think he says like something, whatever. But then we see like half of his head is a share bear. So he's like, he's like a share bear cyborg something. And he'll probably be back. But throughout this whole episode, we didn't even see uh, Bird Girl. You know, she was Judy. I don't think she was ever Bird Girl. She was Judy the entire time. So I don't know. I mean, it, it was, it was okay. It was an okay episode. I, you know, I, I think I liked it a little better. Uh, the, the animation is is interesting. Um, I kind of like it in a way. You know, it's it's not not quite the same as as Harvey Birdman, but there's something about it. I mean, it, it's pretty slick looking. Uh, but it's yeah. I I mean, I kind of like it, but it's not my favorite. I don't know. It's it's kind of weird. We'll see how this goes. I you know I'm I'm hoping it it picks up steam and you know like I said last last week that you know it kind of finds its own legs to stand on because. Uh, I just it's just weird that you know we don't have all the Hanna Barbera reference like there's no other characters and you know we don't have to have tons of guest appearance or anything like that but it's just weird that that was like such a huge part of Harvey Birdman and we don't have that now it's like not even a single remotest tiniest cameo and I'm sure that I don't say I, I do they have to pay royalties if they use these other characters but because they use so many so it's just it's kind of weird I mean it's it's such a, a departure from Harvey Birdman. But maybe that's a good thing because, you know, that was kind of Harvey Birdman's shtick until they kind of ran out of ideas or whatever. And then, you know, the, the show started kind of going down a little. So I don't know. I I, I just enjoyed those the, the first couple seasons, seasons and a half of Harvey Birdman. So I don't know. Maybe, but then check those out if you haven't watched. It's on HBO Max. Um, Bird Girl is on Adult Swim. So it's not on... HBO Max yet. I don't know. I don't think it is. Okay, now Invincible Season 1, Episode 6. I'm really bummed that there's only two more episodes after this. Because this is such a... Eight episodes. That's like that's like nothing. Uh, I don't know if, if I would have rather them you know, work on more episodes and wait. And I know eight episodes is almost like a standard for these streaming seasons you know it's either like six episodes eight ten but it's like eight come on that's like at least do 12 if you're doing you know comic based make it like a a year what anyways so episode six you look kind of dead it starts off we see three girls walking home and they're they're like drinking you know college girls or whatever and this dude like jumps out of the bushes and they're like freaking out like what are you doing in the bushes and apparently he was drinking in there and he starts talking about you know how He's rich, you know, his his dad owns this like pharmaceutical company who's like overcharging people who need money for their kids or some drug or something like that. But he says like they apparently they've invested in like half the the college and his dad's old, so you know, he's going to inherit it all and if they want to get with him, you know, get on the ground floor and they're like, "Ew." So they they like kind of they're like, "Okay, whatever." They leave. And then he's still kind of talking to him, and someone comes up behind him and injects him with something in the neck. Then he wakes up, and this, like, masked doctor dude, you know, mad doctor guy, is saying that, you know, he's going through a metamorphosis or whatever. He's going to change him. And, he, you know, the rich kid finds him. He's strapped to a table, 
And then, then he looks down, you know, he's still talking, he doesn't realize, but then he looks down, his right hand has been replaced by this, like, mechanical hook-type hand. And he's, like, he's freaking out and everything like that. And then the doctor, like, slices his vocal cords and, like, or he's, like, rips them out. He's like, oh, you won't be needing those. So <laughs> kind of brutal intro for the episode. And then uh, it cuts to the injured heroes from last episode are being rushed to, like, the, the medical facility, the secret, the government place. It's like, you know, uh, Monster Girl is apparently, like, drowning in her own blood. And then, you know, they're, they're trying to figure out what they can do for it. And she turns into a monster. And a robot comes in. And he's like, I study her physiology. He's like, I can help her. But then they, like, security, or like, remove him or whatever, which is, like, weird. It's like, why would he works with them or something like that? Uh, but then, you know, Monster Girl turns human again, and Robot tells him, like, you need this, this, and so then they, they're kind of like, okay, maybe we should listen to this guy. Uh, Black Samson, meanwhile, you know, he they have to they get these, like, defibrillator things, but they're, like, different. There's, like, four things on them, and they like, keep zapping them over and over again. And then, then it's weird because, like, the last one, there's, like, this kind of big energy surge, and they're like, whoa, what was that? And then his heart beats back, so it looks like he's going to survive. Mark has to go through surgery. His parents arrive, and then later he wakes up, and he's like, "Oh, you know, I was like, how long was I out?" They tell him he was out for six days, and he's like freaking out because he's like, "What is he gonna tell?" Like Amber in school, Eve's like, "I think she was there." And yeah, she's and she's like, "I covered for you." I, I said he got hit by a bus, and she's like, "And it, it it looks like you were." So then he asks about the other, and they're they're still all unconscious. We see Robot is sitting with Monster Girl, so it's like Monster Girl or Robot is really concerned over monster girl which is kind of weird and cecil's like watching from outside and nolan comes up and you know they're, they're observing this but then nolan asks about dark blood because apparently cecil told uh nolan that dark blood may have been involved with the the killing of the the, the guardians and he asks him if he's if he's cracked yet if they've found anything he's like nope or whatever and then cecil asks him he's like so mark took on machine head alone he's like did you know about this and omni's like yeah he, he mentioned it he's like but i didn't think you know he was gonna take the bait and you know go after him or whatever which is a lie because we we know he was listening in so i don't know and then it cuts to so mark gets released from the hospital and then um he's with uh he, he i think he's at amber's house and you know they're like in the bedroom and and she's like mentioning how she was about to dump him that night or whatever. And, and he's like, you know, I know I messed up and you gave me a chance before. He's like, but, you know, maybe we can just start over and everything like that. And then so finally they're like, yeah, so they make up and start kissing and that. And then Mark is back at school and he's talking to his friend. Now, what I just realized this week, I kept calling his friend Andrew. Andrew is the name of the voice actor. So I, somehow I, I just got that in my head. It's William. His friend is William. So if you've been listening you're, and you're like, who the heck are you talking about? Apologies. So he's talking to his friend William, his best friend. And William wants to go visit, visit this guy Rick at a university. Um, obviously, this is I think this is like our first. I don't know if it was obvious before, but but Rick is is gay. And he's so he's got a crush on this guy. So he wants to go visit him, whatever. Mark sees this poster about the, from the, the, the college about deciding your future and everything like that. He's like, you know, hey, would it be okay if I went too? And, and uh, William's like, sure. And he's like, and Amber too? And everything like that. So he's like, oh, sure, yeah, okay. And then um, Eve comes by. He mentions a college thing. Uh, and he awkwardly asks her if she wants to go too. 
And she's like, no, you know, I'm probably skipping college or whatever. So this is at, at his place. He's like packing. She flies by the window. She's like in his bedroom, whatever. So she's like, you know, I'm probably going to skip college. And, uh, you know, he's like, but your grades are good and everything like that. She's like, yeah, but, you know, after helping at the community center and, you know, saving lives a hero. So it's like, I really want to focus on trying to help people and stuff like that. So then um, Debbie, uh, Mark's mom, she's about to go out and Nolan's like, oh, where are you going? And she's like, oh, I got to pick up some dry cleaning and then I'm going to you know, pick up some things for dinner. So Nolan's like, okay, well, I'll go with. And she's like, you know, you, you should probably stay and work on that book that you're supposed to write because he's has a publishing deal, whatever, and he's been putting it off. And he says that, you know, he can do it over the weekend, but, you know, he still hasn't done it. So uh, when she leaves... He's like he's a little suspicious, and he looks back where he had the his uniform during when he killed the guardians, where it's like hidden, and it's still on top of the cabinet or whatever. But then he opens it, and it looks like it's been replaced by clean sheets or something like that, because there's like no sign of blood or anything like that. So then back to Eve, she's moving out of her parents because she wants a fresh start. And, you know, she has enough credits to graduate high school, and she's like, college can wait. And her dad's He's like upset. He's like, you know, if, if you want a fresh start, you should give up the superhero crap. He's like, you know, that was the worst day of my life is when you got powers. And she's like, wow, you know, that that really hurts, whatever. And, you know, so he's just saying all this stuff. And then she flies off and his dad's like yelling at her, everything like that. But she's just like, whatever, I'm out of here. So she ends up flying out into the woods and using her power, she's able to transmute things or change things. And she kind of makes like an Ewok treehouse, which is like really, really, really big and everything. At the college, um, we, we see like on a bulletin board, there's like a couple missing signs uh, of some dudes that have been abducted, apparently. Rick takes uh, Mark, uh, Amber, and William to like a, a, a biology class or something like that because I think William's thing about being pre med or whatever. Then there's this dude that starts talking, and he he starts kind of bashing the teacher's idea or kind of belittling him. His name is D.A. Sinclair, and apparently he was voiced by Ezra Miller, which I didn't didn't catch. And you know he's he's because the teacher's talking about like being a better person or something like that. And so D. The Sinclair dude, he obviously thinks he's better than everyone. And then Amber like makes a comment. He's like, you know, here you're just being a jerk or whatever. And he's like, oh yeah. And he starts walking towards her, and then like Rick stands up. Uh, Rick's the, the college dude starts talking to him. He's like, oh, whatever. He, he like insults him. So then like later they're walking and they kind of mention Sinclair and Rick suggests that, you know, maybe Mark and Amber, you know, take time to wander and look around. And, and William's like, yeah, yeah, you guys should do that because obviously he wants to be alone with with Rick. So um, while they're on campus, Mark's like, he's smiling, he's happy and everything. He's like, you know, I, I think I like it here. And he asks Amber, he's like, what do you think about coming here, you know, together? And she's like, well, you'll need to get your grades up. And you know, he's like, but, you know, I think this is what I want. It's like us here together. And she's like, okay. And then um, William and Rick come up, but then they're, they start talking. There's like an explosion nearby. So this cyborg dude comes out of the smoke. And then, uh, you know, he's like trying to scream, but he can't. You know, there's something wrong with his voice. Amber kind of takes charge and starts telling people like, get back. You know, we need to get out of here and stuff like that. Mark wants to go into action. But then, like, Amber calls him. She's like, Mark. And so he can't really duck out. The cyborg dude uh, grabs Rick. And then um, William kind of throws, like, a can at him. He's like, hey, hey. So then the, the cyborg grabs William by the throat. So Mark disappears, changes into his invincible costume. And then um, he's trying to st- stop the cyborg. And William's, like, on the ground looking. And he's just, like, kind of staring while 
you know, Invincible is trying to stop the cyborg. Then he's like, Mark? And Mark's like, run. So the fight continues, bim, bam, boom, all this stuff like that. Um, the cyborg's still not going down. I mean, this thing's tough. It's like slamming Mark down and everything like that. And then he's like kind of groping, you know, as it's holding him down. He ends up ripping off the cyborg's visor. And then it kind of like freaks out a little bit, but then and it ends up seeing its reflection in a fountain and it kind of like groans in confusion. And there's like this wheezing scream because so this is the guy, the rich kid that was taken at the beginning and he can't scream because he has no vocal cords. So he's just like kind of freaking out. Then he ends up impaling himself on the there's like this big sundial sculpture thing, like in the middle of the, the college square or whatever. And then William rushes up to him and he's like freaking out. He's like, you're invincible, whatever. And Mark's like, shh. And then, then, you know, he has to like zip off. This over then Rick hugs William. He's like, you know, oh, you saved my life and stuff like that. Then Mark comes up. He's and Amber's like, you know, where'd you go or whatever. And she's like really mad. He's like, you know, I uh, I, I went to call for help. And she's like, you're lying. She's like, you just ran, you know, just worried about yourself. And you know, she's like, you know, we were supposed to start over. And she's like, Eve was wrong about you. You know that he's not a good guy or whatever. So Sinclair is watching like the aftermath. He's seeing his, you know, like, you know, the police are there or whatever and stuff like that. And then he sees Rick. He's like, oh, look at that. He's like the perfect alpha male. So he's going to, it's like, what does he care about this? Sinclair is obviously the, the dude in, in charge of the cyborgs. So Monster Girl's still in the hospital. Robot, um, you know, he, he's in the room. He comes in. He's all damaged and everything like that. Like his arm's missing and he's got this blue flower. But, and people are like, whoa, what's going on? But it, But then Robot is actually there and he said that he dispatched a drone to the arctic because there's this flower that has like the properties whatever that she needs and uh you know so then he's like there black samson's kind of like on the other side of the curtain he's like he's like oh he's like you really care about her he's like you, you know how's that possible you're just a machine and he's like i'm programmed to care for all humans he's like oh you're lying he's like you know you wouldn't care that much about me if i was injured or whatever so for some reason robot's really concerned and i'm trying to remember back in the comic like why why is this so i guess that's a good thing that i haven't i i, I did start reading the comic again uh, but it's like I don't remember a whole lot of it, so that's good. Omni Man, uh, his costume is being looked at by Art, so that's like the the guy that made the costume. So Debbie's there. He tells Debbie that he spent the last couple days going over it from top to bottom. So he like shows her different things, like these flecks right here. It's like they look like gold, but they're much harder. And Debbie's like War Woman's armor. And then there's this other part. He's like sodium crystals. So those are from Dark Wings throwing weapons. And then there's some friction burns from something moving real fast. And she's like, Red Rush. So Debbie's like, it only proves that Nolan and, and the Guardians fought. But Art shows, he's like, well, you know, we can look at all the blood and, you know, the way it oxidized and everything like that. And he's like, the the oldest, oldest blood is here and it's on his gloves. So he's like, Nolan struck first. And she's like, you can't tell anyone. She's like, not Cecil, not, not anyone. And he's like, I, I'd be scared to tell anyone. And then we see Omni-Man's floating outside. So he's listening to this conversation. So back at college, Amber's still mad. She like throws Mark's you know, bag at him. She's like, there's no way I, you know, we're sharing a room tonight. And she goes in the room and Rick's like, uh, but but that's my bedroom. <laughs> and then uh, they're like, okay. Um, Eve, uh, she puts out a forest fire and she regrows the trees there's a couple people hiking and there's this mudslide coming and she saves them. There's some people farming and she makes her crops grow and then they wave to her and stuff like that. So she's doing all the stuff like helping all these people. Um, but then we see Robot visits the Maulers because, you know, he gave them whatever that DNA sample. And so they're, they're, there's a tube and something is growing in there, you know, whatever 
the sample is from and they were they're talking about their payment because he's like well you'll get the schematics for it when you know when the job is complete because they they kind of threatened to kill whatever it is growing and stuff like that so they're like well we need like a safety something you know just in case because i don't know can he trust the maulers so we'll, we'll see about that william and mark talk because uh, you know amber went to take a shower and uh rick went to the store to pick up some things so William wants to know, he's like, you know, how long have you had powers? And he's like, and how come you haven't told me I'm your best friend and everything like that? And he's like, and you have to take me flying. So he keeps like pushing with that. Amber takes a shower and she's walking down, you know, the, the hall back to the room. This dude comes up behind her. So he has a flyer for like a fraternity party. And, you know, um, he's like invites her to go. Rick calls William on the way back from the store or whatever. But then as he's talking, the video cups out. And then Mark... Um, he wants to go after Amber because, you know, later she's going to the party. But William wants Mark to go after Rick because he, the call dropped or whatever. So then we see at the hospital, Monster Girl recovers. And she's, at first, she's kind of surprised that, you know, Robot's there. And then he's like, I never left your side. So it's like, then who went to visit the Maulers? You know, is he able to, is if he's sending out a drone, can he you know disperse his consciousness and you know can he be at more than one place at the same time i guess that's that's the that's the question um at the uh costume the dry cleaner arts you know locking up shop and then nolan's behind him with a six-pack so at first it's like okay is he about to kill him amber arrives at the party mark meanwhile you know he's he's walking to there you know he she's got a head start so she's already there William is out looking for Rick. He finds his phone like on, on the floor and he finds a shoe by an open manhole. Um, the frat dude comes up to Amber and they start talking. William goes down in the sewer. Mark arrives at the party. And then we see Nolan and Art. They're drinking beer on the roof of the dry cleaners, like the strip mall. And, you know, they're laughing about old times, like, you know, costume choices, different people, whatever. You, it looks seems like Art's a little nervous. And then, uh, then we it cuts. We uh, at the party. Mark sees Amber talking to the dude. They're like out in a balcony, and she's just kind of like staring at him and stuff like that. At at the the frat dude, and you know he's talking about some stuff. She's like, "You're a little nerdy for a frat guy, or whatever." And then um, he mentions his girlfriend. He's like, "Well, that's what my girlfriend says, or something like that." She's transferring her next term. Then he's like, um, "Are you seeing anyone?" Which seems like a weird thing that he mentions his girlfriend, and then the immediate next sentence he asks if she's seeing anyone. So William tries calling Mark, but there's like bad reception. It almost looks like he's being chased. And Mark's like, I can't hear you, whatever. He's like, I'll, I'll see you when you get back to the dorm. So he just like totally dismisses it because he's just trying to figure out like what is Amber doing and everything. But then we see um, William's getting carried by a, a cyborg. And then he gets taken to like the laboratory place in the sewers, gets strapped to a table. Sinclair's there. He has like a little like electric handsaw thing. And then... um. But then Invincible, we see him flying around looking for William. So I'm not really sure what made him decide to stop just looking at, at Amber and this frat dude. But then uh, he sees something, and he just, like, smashes through the ground into, into the sewers. And then there's, like, a light. He sees a cyborg. So he goes, he's like, where have you, what's going on? You know, where's, where's uh, I don't know if he says his name or something like that. But then there's three cyborgs, and they're, like, attacking him and everything like that. His phone falls out of his pocket and into, like, the sewage sludge or whatever. I don't think they mention anything about his phone, like, that he lost his phone or anything. But then uh, he, they're, they're, the fighting continues into, the, like, the operating room. 
and Invincible, he's kind of struggling to fight the three of them. I mean, he barely could fight one before. One of them gets their, like, visor ripped off, and then William sees that it's Rick. So Rick has already been turned into a cyborg. Um, William tries talking. He's like, hey, you got to remember our first meeting, whatever. You know, we're at that place, and, we, you know, we had sex by the water. It's like the best night of my life and everything like that. Sinclair, he's like, oh, whatever. He, he starts, like, cutting William's arm, and he's, like, screaming. And then Rick kind of comes out of it, and he reaches in the back of his head and, like, pulls something out. And then uh, he stops this one cyborg from punching Invincible. So he takes out one. Invincible takes out the other. And then William goes after Sinclair. And because, you know, Sinclair's like, okay, I'm out of here. But then William knocks him down, like punches him a few times. And then uh, he says something else. Invincible just like punches him. <laughs> and we, his, you see him later, like his jaw is like, Ugh. so he, like he totally broke his jaw. <laughs> um, so then Cecil arrived with like some men to take to take Sinclair away and the, the cyborg bodies or whatever. Mark's like, well, you know, what are you going to do with them? And he sees so like, oh, it's probably the classic lock them up and throw away the key. He's like, it's a shame. You know, it's impressive technology, um, you know, especially considering it is built in a sewer. And Mark's like, you know, it's sick, you mean, not, you know, remarkable or impressive or whatever. And, you know, he says that, you know, we'll just we'll do our best to, you know, help them out because he's like, you know, can you – Turn it back to human, you know, whatever. So we'll see what's going to happen with that. Mark and William go back to the dorm. You know, William's sobbing. He's crying. Amber, meanwhile, is like sleeping in the bed. It's like she has no idea what, what just happened. And, you know, it's like Mark opens the door, looks at her, sees, you know, she's just lying there. So he closes the door. But she's she's not sleeping. She's just like laying there. And she, you know, she doesn't know what to do now. Eva arrives at her Ewok house and, you know, she crashes on the bed and, you know, she's had a good day you know she's happy fulfilled and you know i think she falls asleep right away nolan arrives home and you know he's not happy debbie's inside drinking wine and she's like why and she mentions the guardian's name he's like he's like i didn't do anything and she's like i know you killed him and he's like you're drunk we'll talk about it in the morning and he like turns away to like go upstairs and like that she throws like the bottle of wine at him but he catches it and she's like f you nolan and then she goes upstairs and she slams the door and he's like holding the bottle. He's like squeezes it, and it like shatters in his hand. And he's like, Poosh, and he punches a hole in the wall. And then uh, the like the mid credit scene, or whatever. There's like two kids digging up a grave and everything like that. Uh, they talk about or one kid says that if they drink from the immortal's skull, and then they'll get his power or something like that. And the kid's like, I don't know about that. He's like, Oh, I read it on the internet. It was like on on um, Reddit or something like that. But then the Mahler twins show up and they're like, oh, don't believe everything you read on the internet. So I'm not sure why they're there. That's not a good sign if they're going to try to dig up their own samples. So we'll see. So it was a good episode. But again, it's just a bummer that now we have two more left. So <sighs> we should just have continuous episodes, right? Okay, then with The Falcon and the Winter Soldier... Episode five, Truth. So this was a good episode. You know, it's, it was about a, close to an hour long. Not as quite as action packed. It's a little different. Um, there, there, I mean, there is some action. There's there's some stuff that happens, but it's not quite as intense as as last episode, which is totally fine because there's like so much that happened in the last episode, and you know we do need some of, some of the downtime to just balance things out and just to. To build up the characters, because you know we do see some some more development and just like relationships and, and progress and you know moving the characters forward and all that, so I I, I did enjoy it. Um, I don't enjoy it because I think 
there's one more left. That's just crazy, man. So it starts off. We see um, Walker, John John Walker. He's like running away, and he's like at this old like train yard or factory or something like that. And he's in there, and he's like, he's like, you didn't want me to go in. He's like, why didn't I listen? And he's like yelling, and he's like, ah, he's like just he's not sure what to do. And he like sees the blood on his shield and everything like that. And then Sam and Bucky get there. They kind of find him like kneeling on the ground. And Walker's like, he he gets up. He's like, time to go to work. And Sam's like, he wants to talk. And Walker's like, you saw what happened. You know what I had to do. He's like, he killed Lamar. And Sam's like, he didn't kill him, and you know it. You know, because it wasn't Lamar, or the dude that he killed wasn't the one that killed Lamar. And Sam's like, he's like, you got to give me the shield. And Walker's like, oh, so it's like that's what this is. He's like, you almost got me. He and he's like, you don't want to do this. And Bucky's like, yeah, we do. So they start fighting, and Bucky. It almost seems like Bucky's just he's angry. You know, maybe about the just to tarnish the, the fact that he did this with the shield because he's not fighting as efficiently as we would expect him to, and so he's he's putting up a good fight, but he's a little sloppy with that. And you know, like Walker throws a shield at, at Bucky and he catches it, and you know they're still fighting. He's like, "Why are you making me do this?" And then um, Bucky gets like, you know, he gets knocked back. Um, and he gets like knocked in the ground and his like hands kind of sparking. So it's like, is he just got a new arm and is like damaged already? Uh, Walker tries, he has, a, he's like ready to kill. He's got the shield and he's like about to like slam it down on Sam. And Walker's like, you know, we could have been a, a team. And then slam, Sam like flies away and he like shoots out like a wire thing on, on him. And he's like trying to take the uh, shield away and everything like that. The shield kind of falls. They both end up going for it. And then he's on top of, of, of Sam. He's like, I'm Captain America. And he's like holding his wings back. And then he like, he rips the wings off. And and then he raises his shield again like he's about to decapitate Sam. And then Bucky, fortunately, wakes up, gets back up. And in more fighting, Sam grabs uh, the shield. And, you know, Bucky's like holding him. And then um, even though his wings are torn off, he still has like the, the jets on his back. So he's like, he's firing him up and he like, he's able to fly back. And he, he and John's like, ah, so he, he like broke his arm. At first it's like, it's like, oh, he definitely broke his arm, but then he's still fighting. So it's like, he's fighting with a broken arm. So I'm not sure to what extent, but it was, it sounded bad or looked bad. So then he's like, the shield's mine. And then Bucky slams, like, he grabs him by his feet, like, slam because so Sam has a shield. Bucky slams, swings John, like, into the shield that Sam's holding. And then, uh, you know, John's out, and Sam's kind of, like, knocked back. Bucky picks up the shield, goes over to Sam, like, drops it, and he just kind of walks away. And Sam kind of, like, struggles to get it up, and he's, like, he has the shield. He, like, tries wiping the blood off with his hands or whatever. So then the, the GRC, the government thing, whatever, they're, they're conducting raids because they're trying to find Carly. And, you know, they're only following, finding people who are their followers. And uh, Joaquin Torres, uh, the guy that, that Sam was working with, you know, he shows up. He's talking to, to Sam and Bucky. You know, he's, he's like, you know, Captain America killing a foreign national is, you know, publicly is kind of a big deal. And then, you know, he sees Sam's busted wings. He's like, you know, what happened here or whatever? And, you know, but they, they can't find Carly, you know, because she has people all over the world helping her and stuff like that. And, you know, when he looks at the, the wings and he's like, you know, there's really nothing we can do about that. And um, so then Sam picks up the shield and walks out and Torres is like, you forgot the wings. And he's like, keep them. 
So I don't know what this means because, you know, it, the show's called Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So the big question is, is Sam going to become Captain America or not? And if Sam becomes Captain America, is he still going to have wings? Is it Captain America with wings or whatever? Or is Torres, is he going to take the wings and try to fix them and then he becomes new Falcon? We'll see. I don't know. So uh, Walker, he's been taken back. Uh, you know, he's facing the, the higher ups, the government senators or whatever, and you know he's ordered not to work under any capacity as a representative of the United States government. He's stripped of his title and authority as Captain America, effective immediately. Um, he, you know, he's like, well, can I give my testimony, or whatever? And the, the one senator dudes, he's like, you know, it's it's only your record of serving a country that and that's having me recommend against you getting a court-martial. And um, John's like, you know, I don't think you understand the gravity of the situation. He's like starting to yell and stuff like that. He's like, I worked under your mandates and I did what you trained me to do and what you asked me to do. It's like, I did it and I did it well. And they're like, you know, they're like, whatever, dude. They're like, you know, you're going to get um, an other than honorable discharge which I've never heard of that, other than honorable. So not a dishonorable discharge, but an other than honorable, which is not good. And, you know, he's going to hold no rank. He's not going to have any benefits. And then he's like, you built me, Senator. He's like, I am Captain America. And the Senator's like, not anymore. And he's like, if you continue to disrespect the dignity of, and John's just like walks out of the hearing, which <laughs> that seems like insulting right there. So then he's with, I, I, I thought it was his girlfriend, but I, apparently maybe it's his wife because he's talking to her and he's like, they just don't know what it takes to be Captain America. And she's like, well, you know, you need to visit Lamar's parents. You know, they need to see you. And then this lady walks in, Julia Louise Dreyfus. <laughs> you know, he, she's wearing heels. She's like, these, these boots are not made for walking or something like that. And uh, so she introduces herself. So she's Contessa Valentina Allegra de Fontaine. So if you know her from the comics, she's also been, spoiler, she's also been referred to as Madam Hydra in the comics. But she was also, um, uh, she was romantically involved with Nick Fury, uh, OG Nick Fury. So it's not really clear. You know, she's just going and they're like, who are you, whatever. And she just like hands a card to, um, to Walker's wife, I guess. And, you know, she says that she's like, you know, I totally get it. She's like, I would have killed a bastard, too. She's like, you did the right thing. And she's like, you know, taking the serum, it made you, you know, very, very valuable to certain people. And she's like, that was the second best choice that you made. The first was marrying this firecracker sitting next to you. So I guess they are married. And, you know, so she's like talking, whatever. And she's like, you know, and be sure you pick up the phone when I call. And she's like, don't worry about the shield. You know, she's like, it's, it's a dirty little secret. It doesn't really belong to the, to the government. She's like, it's kind of a gray area. And then, uh, so she walks off and then he's like, who was that? And his wife like looks at the card, you know, he hands him a card and it's kind of like blank, you know? So it's like, what? So then we see Carly, like she and her, her people, they return to like one of the old places, it's like empty because everyone's been gathered up by the GRC for harboring and abetting fugitives. So she thinks about like everything that they've lost and everything. She's like, how many times do you have to pay with our lives to be citizens of this Gosh darn planet. <laughs> she doesn't say gosh darn. And then uh, Zemo's visiting the Sokovia Memorial and Bucky shows up. He's like, ah, I thought you'd be here sooner. He's like, let's dance. Do, 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 do. No, they don't dance. There should be another dancing, but there's not. Um, but then Bucky, he's got a gun in his hand. Uh, and 
Zemo's like the girl has been radicalized beyond salvation and you know he's like he says Bucky he's like you're literally literally programmed to kill he's like there's only one way to ensure that she doesn't continue her mission but Bucky he's like well you know thanks for the advice but you know we're going to do it our own way and then you're he like cocks the gun back and then he raises it and he points it at Zemo and Zemo's just standing there and he, he squeezes the trigger click and in his other hands he drops the bullets and in the door Milaje, they come up behind Zemo so Zemo tells Bucky he's like I took the liberty of crossing my name off in your book he's like I bear you no grudge he's like goodbye James and so they, they take him away and AO's like um She's talking to Bucky. She's like, you know, they're going to take him to the raft where he'll wait out the rest of his days there or something like that. And then she goes to leave. And then he's like, oh, he's like, hey, I was like, I have one more favor to ask. Then it cuts to Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, Sam's walking on the street. He sees Isaiah's his grandkid, which is that is he going to be Patriot? Well, I don't know. We'll see. He um, and he tells Sam that he's like, oh, he's in the back. And you see Sam's he's carrying a shield. Obviously, it's like in a. In a case thing and um he he goes in the back uh elijah's watering the garden he, and sam's about to take out the shield he's like no leave it covered he's like the stars and striped mean nothing to me and sam's like he's like i need i need to understand and he's like you know what went wrong so now you know they're inside talking isaiah's like you know i used to be like you until i opened my eyes and sam's like you know you are so super soldier like steve he's like you could have been the next and then isaiah's like the next what he mentions, he's like, I don't have, you know, blonde hair and blue eyes, whatever. So then Isaiah shows him a picture of his wife. And I don't know, if, I think he's, I think he said that she died while he was in jail because he was there for like 30 years. He's like, they never let a single one of her letters, you know, get to him. They, they locked him in. His box. So he has a bunch of letters that are like, all you know, tied together. And they're like in this box. They told her that he was dead. So I guess she eventually stopped writing or something like that. And then he's like, you know, he's like a handful of us got shot up with the shot up with a bunch of different serums, and you know we were sent on missions because you know they're trying out different ones to see what would work and and so forth. But the others weren't stable and they started dying. So at one point they were like all in a POW camp or something like that. And then uh, the I guess the they were just gonna bomb the POW camp so the enemy couldn't get a hold of these soldiers with potential super soldier serum or whatever. So Isaiah busted out of the facility, brought them all back, but he's like, it didn't make any difference because soon he was the only one left because they were all dying. And he's like, and he's like, and this is all I got for it, for saving their lives. And he lifts up his shirt. They're like this, I couldn't tell if it was like a burn, like a scar, like incision or something like that. So he's like, for the next 30 years, they experimented on him. They were trying to figure out why the serum worked. And then he's like, there was this nurse who took pity on me and she wrote like a fake report and declared that I was dead. And then they gave, you know, he got the letters and he's like, I loved her so much. And Sam's like, he's like, we, we got to do something, tell someone. And Isaiah's like, no. He's like, you think things are different now? He's like, you know, they were worried about, you know, my story getting out. So they erased me, they erased my history. And he's like, pledge allegiance to that brother. And he's like, he's like, they will never let a black man be Captain America. And he's like, even if they did, no self-respecting black man would ever want to be. So then Sam leaves and, you know, outside he, he calls Sarah. And he's like, I'm coming home. So, um, I mean, Isaiah is very bitter. And, and it's, it's an unfortunate thing what happened to him. You can't fault all the government for this. I mean, it was just 
I'm not trying, I shouldn't try defending the government. I shouldn't try defending the Marvel government. But I mean, obviously it was just like this little faction that was horrific with the treatment of him. But it's just, it's too bad. So then we see Sam with his nephews and, you know, they're talking about the boat and Sarah's like, she's like, you know, we can't sell it. It's too messed up because they were going to have an offer, but the, the person that was going to cost too much to try to fix it. So Sam's like, he's like, well, I'm going to fix it. And she's like, you know, why are you out saving the world? And, you know, he, he's thinking back to like how his mom would feed all the kids on the street and everything like that. He's like, you know, maybe it's time to call an old favor. So, you know, he starts calling people and everything like that. And then soon, you know, people start coming and helping and different things. And, you know, like there's this one, like this truck, there's like this, like kind of like a pallet with some big stuff. And Sam's like, well, how are we going to get it off the truck? And all of a sudden you see someone picks it up, takes it off. It's Bucky. He's like, you're welcome. <laughs> so he, and he, he came cause he has this like case, like a suitcase to drop off. He's like, sign for it and I'll go. <laughs> so, and so apparently he called in a favor with the Wakandans and then you know, he's looking, he's like, oh, he's like, your boat's nice or whatever. And he asks him, he's like, do you want any help? And Sam's like, yeah. So then they're working on a boat and everything like that. And it's like, wait, is is Bucky flirting with Sarah? <laughs> and then there's there's kind of like this montage, like working on a boat montage, where where that's this is where it's it's, it's kind of weird from like last episode, where last episode you got all this crazy action, and here it's more like the buddy buddy whatever cop movie, and you got this montage of them like fixing things, working together. But whatever. So then later, you know, Sam's just looking at the case and, you know, Bucky, you know, they're drinking beer as he finishes it. He's like, okay, I got a flight to, to, to catch tomorrow. And he's like, I got to go, you know, get a room at the hotel. And, and Sam's like, what? He's like, you're not going to hotels. Like, you're just going to crash here. He's like, but don't flirt with my sister. And he's like, you know, threatens him and whatever. So then Walker visits Lamar's parents and they ask her like, you know, because they know what he did, that he killed that guy. He's like, was he the one that killed our boy? And he's like, yeah. He's like, I would never let the killer get away. But he's like, you're lying. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you're, you're probably going to go after. Cause I think it was Carly, right? Carly's the one that kicked Lamar, I think. Um, but then, you know, he's he's after he leaves his parents, he's like walking down the streets. And his so his arm's still in the sling, you know, so it is busted. And there's like this poster. It's like, John Walker is, or, or cap is back, John Walker, or something like that. Then we see Sharon. And I'm not really sure what to make from this scene. And, you know, she, she's, she's on the phone. She's talking to Batrick, Batrick Zilipa. And she's like, I got a job for you. And she's talking. She's like, she's like, yeah, I can give you double this time. So there's a, I think there's like a, a theory that Sharon Carter is the power broker. Because they haven't really talked so much about their power broker. And, and you know, she, she keeps saying how, she was kind of left hanging in the breeze for helping cap and that, you know, and the fact that she hasn't been, um, have the charges drop against her or whatever. And, but she has access to satellites. And so there's, there's some, I don't, I don't necessarily like this idea of, especially, you know, it's, she's, she's, uh, Peggy Carter's niece or something. I don't know. Anyways. Um, so, Bucky's like, you know, he's sleeping on a couch and the, the boys are playing with the shield. Like one's holding it, it's like, rah, rah, like, you know, like he's hitting it. And Bucky's like, hey. And they like put, you know, put the shield back and, and he just kind of smiles. So Sam's still working on a boat. boat. Um, Bucky arrives or help, helps some more. And then later we see like Sam, you know, he's 
he's practicing throwing the the shield at trees, you know, because like bounces off. He's trying to catch it and stuff like that. And you know, he says it feels weird picking it up again. And you know, Bucky's like the shield is the closest thing that I have left to family. So he's like, when you retired it, it felt like I had nothing left. And you know, but Sam's like, you know, Steve is gone. He's like, you got to stop looking at other people to tell you who you are. And he's like, are you still having nightmares? And Bucky's like, all the time. So Sam's like, are you up for some tough love? And you know, he's like, you know, you you weren't making amends. You know, you'd go up to people and you say you're sorry, but that's not helping them. You know, it's like you have to give them closure. And he's like, there's probably someone, you know, at least one person in your book that needs it. And Bucky's like, there's probably a dozen. So he's like okay you know you, you need to do that he's like good and he's like and, and call me if you get a lead on carly he's like but you know we're not a team and they're like no no you know we're co-workers and stuff like that co-workers who had a, a mutual friend so they're they're co- they're they're buddies they're they're friends you know so sam is uh he's on the boat he's about to paint over like the parent's name on the boat but then sarah's like st- stops him she's like we can't sell it and, you know, sort of they're talking. Sam's like, you know, I realize that I can't win every fight. He's like, I'm okay with that. He's like, but this is our history. And she's like, are you going to let Isaiah Bradley get in your head and tell you what to do? So then he keeps practicing with the shield. He's running. He's doing push-ups. Um, <laughs> and there's a lot of times where he's throwing the shield and it bounces. And it, he has to, like, dodge it because it's, like, almost, like, taking his head off or whatever. And then uh, he's getting better, you know, so we get this other kind of training montage. He's getting better at catching it, and he'll, like, throw it, kind of do some flips or, or like, a, you know, one-handed cartwheel or whatever, or no-handed cartwheel, and then catch the shield and stuff like that. So he's getting a lot better. Carly um, and uh, one of her, the one heard one dude, they meet with Batrick, and he gives them a case of stuff, and I think it was, like, weapons or whatever. And he says out, you know, he doesn't care about their politics. He just wants to kill a falcon. Because I guess he cost him some money or whatever. And then um, she's like, you know, you'll get your chance. And uh, so she takes out her phone. She hits like an app thing or something like that. And a bunch of people nearby, like their phones start activating. So they start mobilizing, coming towards. So these are all people who are following her. So this app apparently calls them and says, hey, it's it's time. So then the GRC, they're about to pass the vote, which I think is going to get rid of like all these people who like immigrants or something. I don't remember exactly what it is. Um, Taurus calls Sam. He's like, you know, we noticed that all the Flag Smashers locations were in Europe, but, you know, we just got a ping in New York. So I think that's where this GRC meeting is or this vote's about to take place. So you see all these people in this room, whatever government people, and then the power suddenly goes out and, like, the emergency, you know, backup lights come on. And then uh, Sam opens up the case finally. It's like, didn't he even look at it before? So he opens up the Wakanda case and then he's like, whew. And he, so he kind of lets out like a sigh of admiration or something. We don't get to see what's in it. And I really don't want to see. I'm wondering if he, he's going to have a Captain America costume like in the comic when he was Captain America. That would be cool to see. But it's like I don't I don't want to see it before they show it. So I hope they avoid releasing it. And, but then it makes me wonder, is like, okay, so next week, are we going to see like a, a funk, new Funko Pop with the costume or, or, you know, action figures or whatever? So that's where it ends. But then, uh, you know, so this is like, <laughs> it was like 1.15 in the morning because, you know, I, I ended up starting it late. And I was like, I got to work the next day. So I actually, it's like, okay, I go brush my teeth. <laughs> and then I, you know, so I left the credits because there's like so much credits. Um. Actually, maybe I didn't brush my teeth, and maybe I did something. 
And so I'm back in the living room. And then there's a there's a scene there. So I was like, okay, I didn't miss it. I because I almost was gonna turn it off. And you see Walker, he's like hammering on something. So he's making a new shield. And you know, he uh, he takes his Medal of Honor pin and he like kind of fastens it or welds it on there and he starts painting it and he's painting it like Captain America color, like red, white, and blue colors. So we're gonna have a big confrontation, and it's probably gonna be like Cap versus Cap. You know, Sam's gonna be probably in his new Captain America costume. I don't know what Walker is going to be. Is he going to be wearing the U.S. agent outfit? Is he going to have like a black? Uh, is Contessa Allegra DeFontaine, what is her name, going to give him a costume? But but then his shield, his, he, if he's just making a shield, it, it's not going to compare to the vibranium shield. So, But then Walker has the super soldier serum. Sam has just... He, he can do some flips and he can run and he's got stamina and he's got a shield. He doesn't have wings anymore. So it's, I don't know how that fight's going to go, but we'll see. So that was a, we got one more, I think one more episode. I, I would love it if, if there's this, there was actually more and I, I'm totally wrong, but I'm pretty sure there's only six. So that that's a bummer, but it was good. Okay. With them. So I think this week I'm going to talk about, Episodes three through six, and then next week I'll do seven, eight, nine, and ten. So we'll see how long this takes. And again, I, I understand that you maybe you've already watched all ten episodes. I don't know how, how quickly you know. If, are you into binging things? Or are you going to do it little by little? Or are you going to savor it, enjoy it? But because I can't talk about these in a brief fashion, I just I'm not capable of it. You know, I just want to talk about all the details. And again, in case people aren't watching it and want to know, you know, they're curious what's happening. So we'll just just do that. And I am in, I am enjoying this show. Um, I don't remember what exactly I said since I only talked about the, the first two episodes. But it's there's some parts that are really uncomfortable. You know, there's a lot of like it's a it's a weird show because it's it deals with a lot of racism from the 50s. But then there's also like this creepy supernatural, you know, horror-ish element as well. So you got the two things. But the the racism part, you know, it's it's kind of some of it is a little hard to to watch and it's uncomfortable. But I think it's supposed to be because if if it's not making you uncomfortable, I I would be a little concerned with that. That you know, if if the stuff that you see is like yeah, whatever. Um, but there's just some some horrific things, and it, it's horrible to think about that. That's how blatantly prejudiced or you know racist people were. That just I it just blows me away. Uh, so, anyways, so with episode three, day four, Lucky's dreaming of the old lady singing that song. The lady that was out at their house at like North Carolina or whatever, and and taking Chester the the cat in the bag, cat in the bag, like singing that part. Um, we find out more about that later. So then Lucky wakes up. Henry um, didn't want to wake her, so he took the girls out. She goes to do the laundry. You know, she's hanging up sheets, and there's like a shadow behind a sheet. There, and she like looks. There's some kid peeing on the sheets. He grabs a stick, like he's gonna, you know, defend himself or hit her or something like that. She takes it out of his hand. He goes running. She chases him. She chases him down the street. There's other neighbors watching. He runs to his house, just like to his parents. And then she just like looks at him, and then she doesn't say anything because it's like, what's the point? She just walks home. But it's almost to be like your kid just pissed on my sheet. 
But still, even if she said that and she'd be like, go look at, at my in my backyard and you'll see that, you know, they'll probably say, oh, you did it somehow. Whatever. So Henry is out with a girl. He's going to buy a TV. And, you know, as, as the, the, the TV's on, like one of the TV, like this kind of starts flickering or whatever. And there's this dude in blackface on this on one of the other TVs. It's like kind of distorted programming. And it's like, OK, obviously it's not really there. Uh, then uh, the, the salesman guy, he kind of insulted him. He's like, yeah, you get this 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 TV. He's like, you probably have 100 cousins who'd want to come over and stuff like that. Which is like insult, you know, when he says that, Henry's just like, okay. And then he he's going to have it delivered or something like that. And as he's leaving, he gives a, the guy a tip. He's like, here you go. You, you can buy an ice cream for your, your hundred cousins. So, and then they just like walk out. Betty is um, sitting with, I think it's George the milkman. You know, he delivered the milk and they're just like sitting at the kitchen table talking. And then, you know, he talks about, he kind of invites her out to his farm because there, there's, there's a slight like flirtation, whatever going on. And I, I was like, are they having an affair or something like that? But I don't think they are. Because when, when he mentions inviting her out to his farm and she's like, well, you know, I, I am a married woman and stuff like that. But then, you know, she does ask him what he's doing that night. And I think it's for the the, the town meet or the homeowners meeting, or whatever. So Henry ends up taking the girls to get ice cream. And Ruby's like, where should we sit? He's like, right up front. And it was really nice because the waitress comes up. She's like, oh, what, what can I get for you and everything? And she doesn't even question. The other's like, no, you can't sit at the front counter. You know, so that was a nice little moment here. Henry's excited when a TV arrives, but Lucky's not home. And one of the delivery guys, he's like, how long have you lived in Compton? And he's like, you better watch yourselves because I, I guess word gets around, how, you know, how all the white folk are. Lucky um, took a train. She goes across town. She gets a warm, she goes to visit, um, I don't know if it's Henry's cousin, Henry's cousin, his aunt Hazel, or maybe his cousin lives there. So I think the lady is is Henry's aunt, Aunt Hazel. But I think she says that, I don't understand. I think she said she hasn't seen Lucky since she was nine. Like, were they just like family friends? Did Henry and Lucky grow up together? I don't even know. But uh, Betty has the ladies over at her place. You know, she's talking about Lucky chasing the kid with a stick and all that stuff. And they're just, you know, all going on and on about that. Then uh, we see Henry, he's putting, uh, he's up on the roof of the house, putting the antenna up. Three dudes, three white dudes come up and one like throws a can at him. But Clark, he's like, well, you know what? We just deal with it at the meeting, whatever. And, and uh, you know, they're, they're kind of talking. The, oh, the, the, the kid's dad, he, he kind of gets scared because they're like, why don't you come down here? And he's like, you better, or why don't you come up? He's like, but I'm telling you, if you come up, you're going down the hard way and stuff like that. So they they really start like trying to threaten, but and they and they end up leaving. You can tell that they were kind of intimidated because Henry wouldn't back down, and the ladies are watching from Betty's window. You know they're they're trying to hoping something would happen, and nothing really did. At Aunt Hazel's, she's going on, and she said mentions Chester, so she doesn't know that Chester's gone, and you know she because she's she tries talking to him to lucky whatever and then she starts getting a little distance you know she's like thinking about you know losing her kid and everything like that and then she you know she sees this other lady with the baby and she's like i gotta go you know she just abruptly gets up and wants to go back home at the the homeowners uh meeting clark is supposed to talk you know betty asked him if he if he would address the crowd to you know we got to do something about them and Clark's not there. You know, he's late. So Betty insists that he's like, oh, no, he has this all planned. But the other's like, well, we need to get this meeting going so that they start the meeting. And uh, the dude talking, 
he has this idea, you know, it's like slow and steady is how we'll win. You know, we'll put the pressure on. He's like, we can't do violence. But then Betty wants to talk. And, you know, they're like, they're a little hesitant when, you know, she's like, well, you know, oil was discovered in Compton in 1900. And I, I don't remember if she said it was her grandfather or father. Maybe it was her father. I don't know. And, you know, she's like, slow and steady is how mold grows. He's like, and, it, you know, she's saying all this stuff that they got to, you know, take quicker action, do something. And they all applaud her, her speech of getting the Negroes gone. And it's just like, ugh. So Lucky gets on a bus, you know, it's, it's at night late now. And uh, there's this old dude like sitting up on the bus and he kind of like turns, he's like wearing his hat and he turns and looks at her. And then, you know, she just like kind of leans back and she's like, she like falls asleep, but then she like wakes up and she's like all alone on the bus. And then the, the old dude that was in the front, he's, it's like, is he rotting or something? What the lights kind of flicker and go out. And then suddenly, you know, he's like sitting behind her, then he's gone. So she walks up to the front and then these like hands, like invisible hands start like grabbing her or something like that. And then the old, uh, rotting dude or whatever in the hat. It's like watching and she's freaking out uh, and then the bus driver starts yelling at her and then, you know, she's leaning against the window. So, she, you know, she was like, she dreamt all this and he's like, I'm going to call the police or whatever. So then uh, that Sergeant uh, Bill Wheatley, whatever, drives her home and he talks to her. So this is like the, the nice, nice guy. He says that, uh, you know, he's like, he talks about this whole area used to be farmland and he used to like go out there. He's like, now I have no place to think except for my car. And, you know, he worries about going stir crazy or whatever. And, you know, she's like, I'm not, not crazy. And he says that he's like, you know, me and the, the driver, we searched the bus. They're like there was no one there. And then, you know, he's like, and you were, you know, you're out with a gun, you know, waving a gun around and you're chasing a kid with a switch. He's like, I, I'm seeing a pattern. He's like, you know, I might have to take a side. He's like, he's like, don't you want me on your side? And he's like, you know, if you want your neighbors to accept you, you need to make them feel safe. So it really sounds like, you know, he's trying to help her, trying to explain, you know, calm, not like be condescending or anything, but he's trying to say that, you know, these are the things that you're doing and, you know, your, your neighbors are kind of like freaking out about it or whatever. So then uh, Betty talks to Clark, you know, he, he said that he had some nasty overtime or whatever. And, and she's like, well, you owe me or something like that. Lucky walks in the house. Henry said, that, you know, he was getting worried. You know, the kids tried staying up because they wanted to show her the TV. And then she tells him, like, what happened to bus? She's like, there was hands grabbing her. And he's like, what? Who's grabbing you? You know, he's like getting all, you know get ready to, to go up and do something. And she's like, on the bus, it wasn't natural. And she's like, you know, there's something wrong with this place, something rotten. And then outside, Clark is with a couple other dudes and they're like pouring gas on the lawn. And one guy lights the match and Betty's watching from the window. On the lawn, it says, N-word heaven. And that's where the episode ends. Episode four, day six, there's a bunch of like blackface dolls hanging outside the house by nooses. So during the night, someone took the time to, you know, to hang up all these little dolls that were painted and, you know, make these little nooses. Jack is, um, or there's a, a Jack in a box on the, on the porch and Henry comes out and he sees it all. And, you know, the, the, the lawn is full of, you know, there's dolls everywhere. There's like neighbor kid, neighborhood kids standing out in their yard. They're looking and then he goes inside. And he tries distracting the girls because, you know, it's Gracie's first day of kindergarten. And, you know, Lucky kind of sees what happened. You know, she's not happy. And Henry's like, he's like, don't give her, don't give them the satisfaction. So he's like, you know, we have three options. One, 
I go inside and get my 45 and kill all the honkies. I go to jail and the girls get taken away from you. He's like, two, I can stay home with you. And she's like, yeah, but it's your first week in a job and you'd get fired. And then he's like, then three, the girls go to school and I go to work and you go inside and lock the doors. So, and then Betty steps out on her porch, you know, she's smoking a cigarette. You know, she looks at Lucky. Now, Lucky walks over to her and asks her, she's like, what do you call this? And Betty's like, it's a start. And she's like, you know, she's like, my children had to see that. And Betty's like, well, whose fault is that? And she asked, you know, Lucky, she's like, why would you want to live where you're not wanted? And she's like, she's like, I wouldn't want my children growing up. And then Lucky's like, well, it's a good thing you don't have any. She's like, you know, it's a good thing about being neighbors. You know where to find me. And then she waves, you know, she walks back, you know, because other ladies are are watching this because, uh, you know, when Lucky crossed the street to like, is she going to attack Betty or something like that? And then she walks back, she just like waves to him, you know, with a smile on her face. So at work, um, Henry's boss and this other white dude, they, they pretty much ignore him on the elevator. So apparently there's a shindig this afternoon that Henry was invited to. And the boss, he's like, oh, yeah, he's like, you know, they're such a bore. You wouldn't like it. He's like, just enjoy your half day. So Lucky goes to the realtor. Apparently they can't sell or something like that. And the realtor says, you know, she's like, there's other colored families that are itching to move in. You know, and she's like, you know, you're not alone. And, you know, Lucky asks if she was going to warn them, you know, what's in store or something like that. So then the realtor, she calls Sergeant Wheatley. It's like, you know, why is she calling this police officer? Lucky goes to the house of the other family that moved nearby. So she's going to visit this other family. They're like a couple blocks away or something. Ruby's at lunch and Doris, the, the girl that sat next to her in the office, she comes up to her and she's like, let's blow this joint. And she's like, I want to show you something. So they run off holding hands. They they go downstairs like into like the basement to storage or something like that. And there's a, a couple like going at it. You know, they're just like making out and, you know, hands groping everywhere or whatever. And then, uh, then they, they're like giggling or something like that. They laugh kind of loud. They're like, who's there? So then they have to run because, you know, before they, they can catch him or whatever. So Lucky finds out that uh, the other family has been there a few weeks or months because, you know, she's talking to the lady. She's like, well, time flies or whatever. And she's like, you know, she's like, I know how hard it can be. You know, all the tricks that they do, the threats. And then she, and she's like, the man in the black hat said that things have a way of coming around. So it's like, okay, what does that mean? Doris tells Ruby, you know, they're, they're talking. She's like, I've done that before, what they were doing. And and Ruby asks, she's like, why aren't you on, on the, the cheer squad? And then, uh, you know, Doris talked to her. She unbuttons Ruby's top button, and, and she takes her lipstick out, and she puts lipstick on her. And then she takes the mascara puts it on her. And Doris tells Ruby, she's like, you know, you should try out. She's like, you're the prettiest colored girl I've ever seen. And, you know, they're talking. Then a janitor comes in, you know, because they're hiding in janitor's closet. He's like, what are you doing? Who said you could come in here? And, you know, he tries grabbing her. Or something, and she's like, leave me alone or something like that. But then then he's like, well, I shouldn't have t- touched you or, you know, grabbed you or something like that. But then the whole thing is, what happened to Doris? You know, it's like Ruby was alone. So obviously, Doris isn't real. You know, she's like some sort of ghost haunting her. I don't know. So the the lady that Lucky's talking, she keeps talking about you know this man, and you know he said not to worry about what's outside, just you know attend to what's inside the house. Then uh, Lucky sees there's like a man in the other room in a wheelchair. He has like bloody stumps, like his legs are cut off at the knees. And then she's like, "Where are your boys?" This like bell goes off like in the kitchen. She's like, "Oh, there they are." So then the the, the lady goes in the kitchen. Lucky follows. There's blood all over the kitchen. 
and she's like pull something out of the oven so i don't know it's like are the kids supposed to be in the oven it's like what's going on at the at henry's work there's like this big party with the work shindig so henry shows up even though he wasn't supposed to go the company i think it's a company owner you know he gives this big speech and he's saying like the engineers will be getting a percentage of the profits or something like that so does that include henry because you know he didn't wasn't told anything about it and then uh, this guy comes up on the stage, you know, the band's playing. The guy comes up on the stage uh, wearing blackface, whatever. And it's like, is he really there? Because then it's like, he's not there. So I don't know if Henry's just seeing this. Betty goes to this big fancy house. So apparently it's like her dad's house. And they haven't talked in a while. And it's like, he doesn't even know what her husband's name is. You know, because I guess they haven't spoken since before she got married or I don't know. And he asks if she has any kids. And when she mentions Compton, he's like, you're still there? And he like kind of lets out a sigh. And he's like, why'd you come back? And her mom comes in. And then she's like, oh, I almost didn't recognize you. He's like, what the years will do to a woman's face. So there's obviously some tension between her and her, her, her parents. So it's like, you know, why would she go back there? Henry's uh, about to go up to like the, the big owner or whatever. But his boss like stops him. He's like, he's like, oh, I didn't think you'd show up. And then what we find out is turns out that he didn't tell the owner dude that his new engineer was a negro and you know he whispers at her something like that so then he wants henry to go out the back entrance but then henry ends up to, to go up to mr stoke 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 i forgot his name and you know he mentions he that he was like in a certain battalion so they have like this war in common and stoke asks him like what he does he's like i'm an engineer and then he's he seems uh very happy to meet henry even and his boss is kind of bothered by this like you know he didn't want him to know or something like that so betty's talking to her parents and she mentions you know if they had a small loan from them that they could find some place you know without all the bother um and she's like you know, you know maybe you know we can move back here in hancock park and you know we could i could visit more so the dad's gonna agree to to help he tells the maid to get his checkbook and uh you know the mother's like are you are you certain and he's like like she's back so then uh Betty's like just sitting there and she's continuing smiling. Mother walks out of the room and then he's like, you know, he's before he writes the check, he's like, you'll spend the night. He's like, then he's like, this check can wait until after supper. He's like, you know, you should go and take a bath and wash the travel off. And, you know, she's like, well, you know, Clark worries. And he says that, you know, her mother thinks that, you know, she's just there that she just wants something. So, you know, that's the only reason she came back. But she's like, no, I missed you. And then he like walks out. So uh, the mom comes in with like a couple towels and Betty's like, you know, could, do you think maybe you could just write the check? And her mom's like, I wish to God you never came back. So then I'm starting to get this weird vibe off of this. Is I was like, is her dad like a creepy, like molester or something? So she goes upstairs and the bathwater is running and it's like her father's in the bathroom. And you know, so she's sitting on the bed, you know, she like takes off her shoes and she's like fighting back the tears. She puts her shoes back on and she walks out and she goes downstairs. So that's probably why she hasn't talked to her dad in a while. Ugh. So Henry pulls in the driveway. Lucky comes out and wants to show him something. Betty and her uh, husband argue. She brings up that, you know, he wasn't at the meeting. He points out that he works. He pays for electricity and the car and she insists on having whatever. Lucky, um... Oh, she, she brought Henry to the other lady's house. And, you know, the, the daughters are, it's like late, so they're like in a backseat or whatever. They go into the, the kitchen and the lady's husband's in a chair. Because he like, as she was leaving, he like tried saying something to her. 
Um, but he's now he's like in this vegetative state and there's no blood everywhere. Uh, she's like, where are your kids? And then she's like, oh, they're at their, their aunties. And then Lucky's like, that's BS. And Henry's like, that's enough. And she tries talking to the husband. She's like, what were you trying to tell me earlier? And the, the lady, Miss Johnson, she's like, you know, he hasn't spoken a word since he returned. So apparently he was like in a war too. So they get back in the car and they don't really talk or whatever like that. But then in the bedroom, uh, Lucky starts kissing Henry. And it's just like no words. And they're just going to start going at it. So she takes Henry over to this house. Like she's, there's, there's something going on. But then there's like nothing there. So he's probably like, dude you're losing it but then she's like well let's just do to do episode five covenant one um this was this episode is kind of like ding. there's a, you know it's like a halfway point and then we we're, we're getting some answers here so it starts off with like a war department movie you know like welcome home from war you know most gis are moving to california there's new communities you know all this stuff like that so we see these people talking about city plans and, you know, they, they mention the different ethnicities moving to different areas. The realtor lady's there and, you know, she's, they're, they're saying something like, you know, move a Negro family to a neighborhood and others will throw money at them, you know, to all want to start moving in. And, you know, she thinks that in six months, East Compton is going to look like West Compton. And, you know, because they have two families now within two blocks and I think that they charge them a high interest because other banks won't lend to them. Oh, so we, we get like a flashback. And, you know, she's talking to the realtors, talking to the Johnsons. And he's fine now. You know, he's talking or everything. He he has his, did he have his legs? I think he did. And, um, you know, Mrs. Johnson notices the, the no Negro blood clause thing and a realtor is like oh don't pay, pay attention to that she like crosses it off and you know she but she does suggest that they move in at night because it, it would cause less of a stir and then you know they she looks over to two boys are sitting at the table you know so they're like okay this is gonna be a good move you know to get this nice neighborhood and everything like that then we see the realtor at the diner with sergeant wheatley and she gives him like an envelope of cash like folded in a newspaper or something like that and now we see he's not the quite nice guy that he was. You know, he says something, you know, he, he uses like racist words and stuff like that. And he points out that what she's doing is illegal. And she's like, well, it is for both of us. But he's like, he points out that she's paying him in cash. So he's like, I don't exist. He's like, it's your name on all the contract, not your boss's name or something like that. And then this is a day that the Emery's are supposed to, that Henry and Lucky and the, the girls are supposed to be arriving. The realtor gets into her car in a garage and there's like some dude in the back seat and he's like, I know you're selling, you know, the house to N words and there's whatever. And then he like, you know, gets up, a, he kind of like threatens her or whatever. And then uh, we get a flashback at the old North Carolina house. So it's just like the first episode. Lucky's cutting peaches for Chester. Sarge starts barking. That woman walks up. She starts singing. Chester starts crying. And the lady's like, is that your baby? You know, Lucky tells the lady that, you know, she should go on her way. She's like, you know, my husband's going to be back. And she's like, oh, the man who left with the two girls? Oh, yes, we've seen him. Can I have him? And she's like, ma'am? She's like, your boy. I'd like him very much. Will you give him to me? So then uh, Lucky goes inside. The other people are walking up, the, you know, the, the road. Lady, um, she has Sarge. Lucky goes in, in, inside the house. She puts Chester in the closet. And, you know, the men are at the doors, you know, trying to open it. They, like, break the glass at the door and, like, unlock the door. And, you know, other dudes that come in through the window. 
so they, they go upstairs or like looking you hear all this rustling around upstairs and uh you know lucky's like standing outside the closet and this dude comes up from behind her and then she realized she's surrounded so this big dude starts choking her and this part oh, this was was rough because then uh he, he like starts raping her like on the floor and the, the woman's like first she's like standing there watching and then you know then she just kind of goes about her business you know whatever and then she hears Chester crying in a closet. So she finds him and she picks him up and she you know brings him in the kitchen or whatever. She's like playing peekaboo with him. And then she starts she says cat in a bag, cat in a bag. Cat you know she starts saying that. She wraps him in like a sheet and like ties it at the end. And then she throws him to the other dude. They start tossing him around. So there's a there's sort of the lady's throwing the baby wrapped in a sheet to two other guys while lucky has to watch while the dude's still on top of her so then um they're destroying the baby around and then she she when she she has him again she starts like twirling him around like over her head like like really fast and then chester stops like crying and moving and then you know she just like kind of lowers it and she just kind of like drops the heap on on the floor and then and then they leave and then uh, you see kind of like an overhead, you know, every once in a while, like the camera starts to like going, like it's all red or something like that. So then there's a funeral, you know, Lucky's just like in shock you know, she's not saying anything. And, you know, afterwards, you know, one lady's like, you know, she says a prayer, you know, like the, the Lord giveth and taketh away or whatever. And she, Lucky like snaps out of, she's like, what did you say? And she's, you know, the, the lady's like, you know, the Lord has a plan. Whatever. And Lucky's like slaps her. She's like, when he comes from your for your boy, you give my regards to your lord. So then Lucky is um st standing in the kitchen. She's staring at peaches. Gracie comes in, and she's like, yeah, we picked them this morning. And then later, uh, Gracie says, you know, she's talking. She's like, I'm scared of Mama. Ruby's like, oh, you know, she's just sad. And and she's like, you know, we'll never be like Mama. You know, let's let's make a pact or something like that. And then they they're talking to their dad to Henry about how she's not the same, and you know she she's like she talks to him like you know she's crazy or something like that and he's like you know you can't talk to your about your mama like that and you know he's like but don't worry he's like i got her it's like i got all of you and then later he gets a phone call about the job offer to california so that's where that episode ends then episode six day seven morning so this will be the last one i'll talk about this week ruby wakes during the night and lucky's standing over her like in the dark and she's like, oh, don't worry. She's like, you know, just go back to sleep. And she has an ax in her hand. And she's like, you know, mama's just fine. Mama's just fine. And then she raises the ax and brings it down. But she was just dreaming. It was lucky it was dreaming. So her hands are sore. So like, I don't know if she was like, like she was clenching the ax so tightly or just like clenching her fist during her sleep. So she kind of, you know, she gets out of bed. Henry's still sleeping. And she noticed her feet are dirty. And as the camera pans down, we see that there's an axe under the bed. So it's like, holy crap. And then, then Henry's like shaving in the, the bathroom. He's using a, a straight razor. I've never shaved with a straight razor. I don't think I ever want to. And it's always the same thing. It's like when they're doing it, and all of a sudden, like their hands jerk. That's like when there's a cut. So I don't know if they feel a cut, and then their hand jerks. But it almost looks like he did it on purpose. Anyway, so he cuts himself. And, you know, like a drop of blood falls into like the water in the sink. And he's just kind of like staring at it. So it's like he's kind of like in a daze too. Ruby's staring at like her cereal. You know, she's just kind of like 
toying with it, whatever. And then, you know, she scoops him up and her hands are like shaking a little bit. And, you know, she flips a spoon over, looks at a reflection in the back of the spoon or whatever. Lucky, meanwhile, is combing Gracie's hair. She's in a complete like daze. There's a, you know, she has a comb, but there's like this metal comb sitting on the stove. It's like an electric stove top and it's the burners on. She uh, reaches into some like, uh, I don't know what it is, some some hair product stuff and like kind of like runs it, you know, scoops it with her hand and puts it in, in Gracie's hair. And then she grabs a comb and like slowly she holds the, the, the comb from the stove up and she even blows on it a little bit. So you see like some smoke go off of it. And then she starts combing. Now all of a sudden, whoosh, there's a big thing of flame. And then Gracie doesn't scream or anything. And she just like looks at her. She's like, do I look pretty now? But then in reality, Gracie screams because she ends up, she really did get burnt in the back of the neck. There's like a this little, like maybe like half an inch or something like that. It's a mark on her neck. So then Henry drives, uh, you know, the girls are in the car, she's taking them to school. Gracie's like in the back. You know, you can see she's not happy because her mom burnt her. Uh, and, you know, so Lucky's just standing outside on the porch. Lucky's staring at her from her living room. And, you know, she's just upset just because they're just there. And then she notices a spot on the wallpaper peeling. And she just, like, looks at it. Henry's uh, at work. He's in his boss's office. So his boss is clearly not happy that he talked to the owner dude. And then he asks, you know, he's looking at his report. He's like, what, what's the, the percentage or whatever this thing? And Henry knows what the answer is. And he's like, well, why wasn't this noted in your report? And Henry's like, Johnson is handling or whatever, you know, the other, I forgot the name. He's like, he's doing that part. And then the boss is like, well, you know, I don't think you, you understand that, you know, this is supposed to be a team effort, whatever. And he's like, you know, maybe I brought you along too fast. And he's like, am I getting sacked? And the boss is like staring at him, you know, smoking a cigarette, hesitating. He's like, I've, I've fired other people for less or something like that. But then he's like, no, he's like, I'm just going to take you off the Pentagon project. And Henry's like, but Mr. Soak said, you know, you build it, you own it. And the boss is like, profit sharing is something you earn. And, you know, he's like, you know, you're still making more than any Negro I know. So, you know, don't go crying about it. So he's like, but it's my work or something like that. So, and, you know, meanwhile, you know, Henry's like, his clenching his fists, you know, he's just so angry. He's just like fighting not to do anything. So, he, you know, he worked on this project and his boss is just taking it away from him. So Lucky goes to visit her Aunt Hazel again. And, you know, she's kind of wondering, like, if she's going crazy. And Hazel's like, you know, you could never hurt those girls. But, you know, she's like, I'm curious why you haven't told me about what happened to your baby boy. And, you know, so, and then, you know, she's like, you know, there there is a, a two-bedroom unit in, that's opened up in this building. And, you know, she's like, you can move here and, you know, be done with all that. Then Lucky asks, uh, you know, about the other family. So something happened. Hazel knows about the Beaumonts, this other family. They lived in East Compton, and the white folk drove them out of their minds, like apparently like, killed a child or something like that. So uh, Hazel's like in the other room talking to her, and Lucky just takes off. So I don't know if she's thinking about, about her kid or something, or her kids. Betty, meanwhile, goes to a bank manager, and you know she's talking about like you know maybe wanting to move or something like that. So she's trying to access her account, and then the bank manager's like, well, I can't give that to you. He's like, you know, your husband really should be here. Because uh, you know he's like he's on the sign up, but she's like, but he, you know, it's not, it's my account. You know, I opened the account, and he's like, yeah, but you know, he's a co-signature or whatever. Then she's like, let me, let me say it again. It's like my father actually made that account, and she's like, there's over six thousand dollars in there. He's like, uh, no, there's not. 
so then you know she wants to know how much there is left and he's like he eventually you know he's he, uh, eventually he tells her that there's less than four hundred dollars left so then at school ruby's sitting alone at lunch doris comes up to her and you know she's like i'm trying out for cheerleading and you're trying out with me ruby's like you know she's like why do you why are you talking to me why are you so nice and she's like you know don't you have any friends and then you know she doris just kind of like brushed off the question she's like you know meet me at the gym after school so Lucky goes to visit um, the Beaumont, Lee Arnett Beaumont. She's at like a sanitarium or something like that. And, you know, Lucky tells her that, you know, she came from East Compton. And then Ar- Ar- Arnett asks her if she's married, if she has children. And she says, something like, you know, before you kill them, you ought to think about how much you'll miss them when they're gone or something like that. Henry drives home. You know, he was expecting Lucky to be there. And then the TV turns on by itself. And he like doesn't even question it. So he goes to the fridge, gets a beer, says "Father's Knows Best" is on on a TV, and then it, it the I think the show changes, and there's like some other show. Henry starts laughing, and then you can hear someone's laugh, laughing with him, and he looks looks next to him on the couch is like the the blackface guy, and he's the closed captioning refers to him as the tap dance man, so D A tap dance man. So he's sitting next to him. And Henry's like, you know, why are you here? This is my house. He's like, I paid for all of this. And then, you know, then he he talks about it. And the the tap dance man talks about his boss taking food from him, you know, about the profit sharing stuff. And then uh, then he takes his beer and he like just like chugs it. He's like, I sure was thirsty. And then he starts singing, what you gonna do? What you gonna do? What you gonna do? <laughs> and, uh, and he's like tapping his feet. What you gonna do? What you gonna do? what you gonna do you know because he's got the tap shoes or something like that and while he, he's doing this henry like walks up he goes in the bedroom he gets his gun and like you know sticks it in the, like behind his in his back of his pants and he leaves so then we see gracie at school which just kind of doesn't make sense because they're doing a pledge of allegiance i mean, you would don't they do that first thing in the morning you know it's like should be like afternoon by now so they do the pledge of allegiance and teachers like who wants to come up to the front and recite the pledge on her own. Everyone's like raising her hand and, and Gracie's like raising her hand. So she's allowed to go up there. So she starts, you know, she's at the front facing the flag and, you know, she starts to, doing the Pledge of Allegiance, but then she stops because there's like someone outside. There's there's like someone, like a shadow, menacing shadow outside. And then the kids kind of start laughing because they think that she doesn't know to pledge and she's forgot the words. And then uh, she does a little more and then and it's like the, the, the person's getting closer. And then she starts saying, cat in a bag, cat in a bag. And she's got like tears, some tears in her eyes, but she almost looks like she's angry. Cat in a bag. And then louder and louder. And the other kids, are, you know, now they're, they're not laughing anymore. They're getting a little freaked out. They're like looking like, what, what's going on here? Lucky's still talking to Arnett. And, you know, then she, uh, Arnett talks about her mom. That, you know, she hadn't thought about her for a while because she used to say something like light and, you know, she talks about her skin color because she's not as dark as, as like some people and she says you know she's lucky for that because her mom would say light and bright all is right or something like that and what had happened is somehow she i think she poured bleach on her husband and son and they're like so she ended up killing him because you know it was weird because they're like kneeling on the floor it's like why were they doing this and they're, they're she pours on them and there's like you know blood or whatever and and she says, you know, what she did was unholy, it was evil, but something was pulling her, making her. And she's like, I never told the police about him. And Lucky's like, him who? And she's like, the man in the black hat. 
So then Ruby goes to the gym after school and Doris is there. She's like, the the I think she's like, the basketball team is stealing the gym. So the girls are downstairs. So they, they leave. But then as like the door to outside is closing, you see the cheerleaders are outside on a field. So it's like, how are they? Is there more than one squad? Lucky gets called um, to Gracie's school. And, you know, as soon as she walks in, Gracie's like, you know, I know the words. And then the teacher kind of cuts her off. She's like, you had your chance to tell your story. And, you know, Lucky, like, you can tell she almost kind of didn't really like that. And uh, then she asked Lucky, she's like, do the words cat in in the bag mean anything? Did I say, I think I said cat in the bag, right? Before. (laughs) She's like, did they mean anything to you? And, And she's like, you know, it doesn't really say anything. She's like, I don't think Gracie is ready for this level of education. She's like, I don't think this is the right place for your daughter. And and Lucky's just mad. She's like, you're goddamn right. So the cheer, their actual cheerleaders are downstairs. So it's like, I thought it was gonna be like some mean trick or something like that. So Ruby and Doris are sitting and watching and, uh, you know, the cheerleaders are like doing some cheers. And then one uh, reaches out to Ruby, like grabs her hand and pulls her up. And she starts doing uh, like the moves and a cheer, and it's then it's like it's like this weird scene because it's like in slow motion, and you know Ruby's standing in, in the middle of a circle, they're all doing their cheers and their jumps and like that, and then um, while Ruby's doing this, some of the cheerleaders start like like kind of cracking and like their bones are cracking, they're twisting and stuff like that, and I couldn't really tell. I was like, is is Doris doing this too? Because it's like, at first I, I had to like, re- I was like, wait, is this only Doris? But it's like, no, it's like it's other cheerleaders. And Ruby's like, her eyes are closing and she's doing this. And then we just see Ruby's cheering all alone. And there's like no one else in this this basement room. Henry walks down the street. I think he's at his boss's house. So he, he like sneaks up along the side of the house. He like looks in the window, it kind of ducks in there. He sees like a knife on a on a kitchen counter. And he's like tries opening the window, but then he like ducks down again or whatever. Then he goes around to the front and then there's he, someone calls out to him. He's like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "Boy, what are you doing around here?" And so Henry's just like he finally, you know, turns around. He's like, "I'm so- sorry, sir." He's like, "I must have gotten lost." And then uh he's like, "Yeah, that's that's right." So then the, the guy keeps walking down the sidewalk because you know Henry's like walking the other way. But then Henry turned around Knocks a guy out from behind. Then we see Lucky and Gracie walking home. And, you know, they're walking pretty fast. Then she finally asks her, she's like, you know, what made you say those words? And she's like, did you see Miss Vera today? And, you know, Gracie kind of looks away. And then, then you know, Lucky asks her again and she nods. And while while they're talking, it's like a car with a white family drives by. Obviously, it's a white family. And then... uh. So they, they start walking and Gracie's like, I don't like it here. And she's like, me neither. It's like, that's why we're leaving. So then they get to her house and Betty comes out and she's like, you, do you have any intention of cleaning up this mess? She's like, this is not how civilized people live. And then, you know, Lucky tells uh, Gracie to, to, you know, go inside or whatever. And she's like, well, tell me about it, Mrs. Wendell. And then Betty kind of like scrunches her face, you know, as they're walking away and she calls them N-word. And then Lucky stops. And, you know, she tells Gracie to hold her purse and she walks down the, 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 the walk of the house. She goes to Betty, backhands her across the face. Gr- Betty's like shocked. And then she walks back up and Gracie's like, that's right, mama. We beat their asses. <laughs> and Betty's just like standing there, like kind of shaking. I don't know if anyone else saw this. And then she like rushes, you know, across the street to her house. 
she goes inside grabs a knife and you know it's like what she knew but then she kind of regains her composure she's like kind of you know slams it on the counter or whatever and then you know she's just goes to the wallpaper starts tearing at the, the piece to rip off big pieces of wallpaper screams grabs a platter smashes a glass cabinet picks up a lamp breaks it and then starts throwing other things and she's crying and then she picks up the phone and she calls someone she's like yeah this is this is betty yeah she's like i don't mean to bother you she's like i'm going to need that favor now so who is she calling and what does this mean at first i thought it's like is she smashing her house and is she gonna try to say that lucky did that broke in her house and did all this stuff oh man so yeah there there's and there's four more episodes <laughs> believe it or not so there you go yeah you should watch it it's it's uh i don't think i could watch all this at once because it's again it's just it's it's a heavy show but i you know i'm really curious like with the the black the man in the hat the black hat man or whatever it's it's he's called Whew. so there you go so uh yeah so i'll do the the rest of it next week all right and this week's main feature since there was no other big big movies or anything let's talk about the nevers uh season one episode one pilot <laughs> so this is interesting uh i i i think i i think i think i enjoyed the first episode so now obviously by the time you're listening to this the second episode has aired so the show airs on sunday nights on hbo max this episode this podcast goes live sunday night so there's no way i could it would be tough to like watch it and so we're gonna be like a week behind just just so you know so that gives you time to watch it since there's so much other stuff to watch and and so forth now with this show um i don't know a whole lot about the production like what was involved obviously you know this is a show that joss whedon developed and then he left the show you know he says he said that he was just basically tired you know with all the covid stuff and everything like that that he you know just needed to step away and focus on family and everything like that some people who shall remain nameless tend to um want to imply that he was forced off the show i don't know i don't I don't know if we, I mean, if, if he deserved it, fine, you know, great, but we don't know the, the whole um, story. And I, I remember like, I, I don't know if it was the main actor, if it was Lord Donnelly, someone had mentioned that working with him was, you know, they, they had a, a fine time working with him or whatever. So, you know, it doesn't mean he's not the, you know, he doesn't have his issues or his fault, major faults or anything like that. Maybe it just depends on the production and the people. I don't know. I'm trying not to let that get in the way or influence this show. Um, Because in a way, I I guess that's the other thing. If he's not a good person that we want to support, if we watch this, are we still supporting him? You know, maybe he helped develop it. I don't know if it was all created by him or whatever. So maybe, you know, he still has a stake in it. But at the same point, you know, you want to look at all the other people involved and, you know, why should they have to suffer because of these issues that are coming to light about, you know, a certain person, alleged issues? I I don't know. And, you know, he he did step away. But then I was surprised when the episode ended that he directed the episode. I, I thought that, you know, he he left before, you know, it, it got to that that point. I thought he was just in the, like the early stages. But who, who I don't know. So um, 
I don't know how many of these episodes he was involved with because I mean, you know, maybe this information is out there. But again, does it matter? Does it not? It it kind of does matter, but it kind of doesn't matter. So it just depends on on how you want to look at it and how firm a stance do you want to take on you know the stuff that he he's done or allegedly done. You know, several people have spoken up, and by several people, I mean <laughs> like uh, like uh, Charisma Carpenter. As um, and Michelle Trackenberg from uh, Buffy, you know they they've mentioned things. I just I don't know what what the deal is, and I don't think we're ever going to really know the whole story. But this is like a silly podcast about entertainment, so I'm trying to focus on this is a this is an interesting show. You know it it's kind of slick in some ways. There there are some things that kind of bothered me a little bit. So you know I, I can't say that I you know 100 loved the the episode. But I am intrigued to see what's going on. And, you know, since this is the first episode, you know, we, we just get introduced to some of the characters. So there's this, like, one dude that I didn't really care so much about. Um, the main uh, character, Amalia, who's played by Laura Donnelly, it, was, it took me a while. I, don't, I, I think maybe it was, like, 20 minutes in I'm watching this. I was like, she looks familiar. It's like, what do I know her from? I was like, there's something about her. And then I realized... That she was from Outlander. That she's a she's a um, Jamie Fraser's sister, Jenny. Uh, so uh, Sam Hewen's character's sister, and and you know she's not like a huge part. Of, you know she's I can't remember the last time she's she's been on. I yes I am so watching Outlander, <laughs> and I I used to talk about that in the Comic Vine podcast sort of, but yeah so she's she's I, I like her as an actress from the the episodes that she was in because um, you know she was always she's very. Um, kind of like fierce and and she stood up for i mean she was tough and you know i, I th- thought that you know she was a, a great strong character in outlander and that's kind of like what we get here so there's a lot of unknown with this series and that's what kind of makes it fun a little bit that we're just kind of thrown into like what's going on so the, the idea is all you know this is taking place like in the, the late 1800s in london and something happens and all these people get quote-unquote touched so, something occurs and they start developing these like not necessarily superpowers but special abilities or whatever and it's all kind of different so that's just the premise like that it's not a hundred percent original you know we, we've seen different things i mean you could even isn't that kind of like what happened with heroes <laughs> you know, there's an eclipse and then people got powers I, I don't know so it's something similar to that and it's kind of build it kind of seems like it's it's all women that are getting these abilities but it's not just women you know there, there are, are some dudes that have have gotten the power or abilities, or whatever. So we're going to be seeing more of that. And I think this the pilot episode it does a, a, a decent job introducing us to this new world and you know seeing some of the different people. Now the nice thing about this is there's no limit. And when they start showing, and, and I'll, I'll spoil this whole episode. You know, I'll, I'll just talk talk about everything that happened. And we we do get a flashback of when the moment happened, and so the the kind of like the there's not necessarily like a set number of people. It's not like okay, there is fifty people that are going to have powers, or there's a hundred people. I mean, it it kind of there is a limit to it, but we don't necessarily know how much. So as the show progresses. That gives them the the freedom and the luxury where they can easily introduce here's a new character with powers. 
we haven't shown them before because they, you know, who knows what they've been doing. They, you know, they may take a vacation somewhere and now they're back in town. So, so that that's the good thing for the show's sake that you know they have that that flexibility to to do that. So I think that's going to work out where you know we could see new characters if we want, or or you know just make stick with the main characters or whatever. So um, with that. Here is what what happens in an episode, and, and maybe I'll talk a little bit more at the end about overall how I felt. So it starts off in London on August third, eighteen ninety six. We see this woman walking with a basket. We see this, so we're just kind of seeing just different people. There's this other woman who um, fixes a water pump with a clothespin. You know, like the, the the water pump kind of breaks, and she pulls a clothespin. So, like, oh, that's that's pretty smart that you know she was able to do that. And then uh, there's this other lady that's getting taken to an asylum. We see this this dude. Um, not that it matters, but he's a, a black doctor, and you know, it's I I don't know what the the state of things were in 1896, but he's a a, a doctor because you know, he outside he's outside his office, Cousins, uh, he's going to play a part in, in this this series. And then we see this older woman being wheeled in a wheelchair. And then it was kind of weird at the beginning because it's like thunder. And then everyone's kind of like looking up for some reason. It's like, what does it like never rain? It's like, what's going on here? And then it's weird because then the woman with the basket, she drops a basket and just like jumps into water. And then it's like, what was that all about? It turns out that that woman that jumps in water is uh, Laura Donnelly's. It's it's uh, her name's Amalia True. Because then we see her. She wakes up on the floor in a nightgown, and then we're told it's three years later. We see the the fix it woman, whose her name is Penance Adair. She's uh, doing like some metal work, like molten metal, like like um, making something. Uh, some bell rings, whatever, and then uh, Penance. You know, we we see we get a glimpse of like her workshop or something like that, and it looks like she. This is a part that kind of, kind of distracts me a little bit, or not necessarily annoys me. But she has some of the kind of like modern looking stuff in there, and I get that they want to push the show forward and make it innovative, whatever. So it's it's like this weird fine line, and and this I think some people might have issues with this, where this is supposed to be you know eighteen ninety six, eighteen nine, I guess eighteen ninety nine now. But you're throwing in some modern things just so it doesn't look completely boring or dreary or whatever you want to call it. Because, you know, like there's one of those things you always see like the, the like the blue electric electricity, you know, something like that with like the light contained in, in a glass bottle or something. So there's like something like that going on. It's like, OK, your typical, you know, stereotypical futuristic laboratory. What I don't know, whatever. I don't know what I'm trying to say. So then uh, the two meet up and then and they're sort of like in the same house or something like that. And they're going to go off somewhere. Um, as we, we look around town, like a, the paper boy is talking about some murderer or like ripper, you know, killing people. The two ladies, um, Amalia and Penance, they go to this house and they're looking for some girl named Myrtle Haplish. Uh, her last name doesn't matter, whatever. Um, the dad says that um, Myrtle might be touched. So they're there to, they're basically kind of seeking out people who have been touched to try to help them is, is what it comes out. Um, the mom thinks that there might be a satanic element to the touch. You know, some people, even though it's been three years, some people are still kind of hesitant about where did these these abilities come from? What does this mean? And, and so forth. 
So um, Amalia's power, it's, it's weird because something happens. She's always kind of like sort of twitching her fingers, not not like Scarlet Witch twitching, but just kind of like touching like finger to thumb, middle finger to thumb, just like kind of fidgeting with her fingers or something like that. But then something happens and it's almost like, did she just get sent to another body? Because she ends up getting like knocked on, on the ground, like on her back or whatever. But then she like clicks back to the present where she's at. So more on this later. They go, um, they go up up to Myrtle's room, and they find that she's like chained to a bed, and she kind of cringes back when the ladies come in because you know they don't know who she is, and you know they, they offer to help her and stuff like that. She starts speaking in like a foreign language, and the, the mom's like she's speaking Satan or whatever. But then I think it was Amalia is like like oh there's you know she like kind of talks back to her like in Chinese or something like that. They're like Chinese, where'd she learn Chinese or something like that. Uh, but she, uh, they, they tell him later, you know, they, they go outside that um, there's it was a mix of like Chinese, Russian, and like Turkish. So they're really confused. They don't know how she would have learned Chinese. And they're like, well, there was those acrobats that were in town, so maybe you know they were kind of sketchy or whatever. So they're they're you know they're talking to the parents, and then there's like a thud. So Amalia runs up there. She tells Penance to keep the parents down there. She goes up to the room, and there's these, these two men trying to kidnap Myrtle, and one shoves a. Uh, uh, Amalia like out of the room and she falls in in a hall and lands on her back and that's what she saw earlier so her abilities allow her to get like a glimpse at the future and you know, it didn't help her that much she wasn't super clear but she kind of saw that this was 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 coming or whatever so she gets up and she kind of like you know calls you know penances on her way up kicks open the door when you know one dude charges at her she takes him down um, she gets punched by the second guy, or she punches the, the one other guy out the window. She's fighting the the first guy, gives him a headbutt, so you can see that you know she's kicking some butt and everything like that. And um, like Penance has a uh, like these like slap cuffs, like you know, so some invention that that she mentioned. Amalia ends up going out the window with the other guy, like knocks him out the window. Land, you know, they're like on the second floor or something like that. Lands on top of the guy or whatever. And then she sees this like cloaked figure um, taking Myrtle away to his carriage. So this cloaked figure, he kind of has like this creepy skin, like he has a mask or something like that. It almost looks like he has he's wearing a mask made out of skin or something like that. Um, the closed caption mentions him as like a shock trooper or something like that. So there's is like, oh, shock troopers? Is, is, is there more than one shock trooper or whatever? So she runs up, she jumps on his back, and she ends up kicking him in a crotch, and it, that has an effect on him. And then... Um, um, Amalia gets like slashed in the stomach, so she gets this pretty pretty nasty wound or whatever. And then another shock trooper arrives, and uh, she gets this like umbrella from Penance and like zap. It's like an electric umbrella or something like that. And then three more of them come up on horses. So you know they get Myrtle, they hop in the carriage, and they're they're trying to take off, but they're being followed by the others on horses. And they're like, you know, we can't outrun them, so we have to use whatever you know something. But Penance like, but it's only a prototype or whatever. So then we see outside a carriage and whoosh, this like three-wheeled car flies out the back of the carriage. And it turns out the driver of the carriage was like a robot. So we're getting some questionable like modern tech at, at this time. And this sort of this this vehicle is like driving around and um you know it's it's almost like 
okay, people are seeing this. You know, I don't know when were vehicles, when were cars like invented to see something like this? Because this would be like, like, holy, you know, that's pretty freaky, whatever. Um, Amalia gets another flash like at the opera or something like that. And we see like when it happens, she just kind of like zones out. Cause she's just like kind of in a daze and, and penance is like, like trying to get her attention. And she's like, Oh, we're, we're going to the opera tonight or something like that. So then, um, some group are talking about the killings by a lady. Um, it's, it's almost like a bunch of like hoity toity dudes or something like that. Um, they, they call it a malady. Um, so far five men have been murdered. Um, so apparently they've been mur- murdered by a woman and not just guys, but they're respectable men. And they t- they talk about that there are hundreds of people with abilities, but when someone corrects them, it's like it's not just women. You know, the uh, men are have these have been touched as well. This one dude, uh, I forget his name, the the Lord dude. He said um, he like kind of interrupts. He's like, the Prime Minister will not be taking a position on the touched, nor will he allow any official debate on the subject. And he's like, not until we understand the nature of the attack. So. Uh, there's no reports of them before that day three years ago, and there haven't been any reports of people who have been touched who have abilities outside of London. So they're the first generation that's accustomed to the impossible, such as like electricity and x-rays and stuff like that. So then they're, they're talking about that, you know, they're going to have to get used to this. And it, they said, I think he said something like, the blade is in, we need to know whose hand is on the hilt. So they're trying to figure out, you know, they don't know what all this means. You know, now we're, we're seeing people with these abilities and they need to figure, you know, what, what to do, what it all means and what to do. Then we see this inspector duties like in these tunnels and there's some guys working on there. They show him like this, this dead body down, down there and written on the wall, like probably in blood or something like that. It says, behold, B-E-H-O-L, behold my works. For I am the angle of death. So angle, not angel, angle of death. So he looks at that and he's, he tells the one dude that, that showed him, he's like, that's not from the malady. And he's like, well, how can you tell? And he's like, because she can spell. So then he like, you know, he kind of examines the blood and he figures out the blood was pig's blood or something like that. It was written after the killing. So he kind of gets mad at this guy that, you know, he's like messing with investigation, the killer or whatever like that. So I, I wasn't really clear what was going on here. Uh, I don't know who killed this person, why this guy's, he, he kind of accused him whether he set it up. You know, why would someone be trying to frame the malady? Did someone just kill this random dude? And they're like, hey, I'm just going to say it was this serial killer that's going around. So that way I, I don't get in trouble. So it was just kind of weird. But this, uh, this detective inspector dude, he's like assigned just to this case. Because then the guy's like, well, if it wasn't a malady, then you have no jurisdiction here because this isn't your case or whatever. I don't know. So then um, then we see this, like, uh, a bunch of people at this, like, this this place. Like, we see this woman stick her hand in dirt and then plants start growing. Amala, Amalia, Penance, and Myrtle arrive in the car. They're just, just driving around. And, and again, it's like just driving through town. Um, one girl... Um, they're, they're talking like, oh, they're coming and they're driving a prototype. And this one little girl, she's like, oh, I don't care about that. My mother t- says motor cars are common or something like that. But then someone else mentions that there's only like eight of them in the world or something like that. So I guess motor vehicles weren't. I could look it up. I'm not going to look it up. Uh, then we, we see there's uh, so a bunch of people gathered or outside this this place. Um, that doctor dude, Dr. Horatio Cosin is there. Um, this the one girl her name is primrose she's excited that myrtle's coming because there's a girl her age she's like apparently like the youngest one there so she has like no one to really talk to 
But the thing is, Primrose is like really tall. She's like, she looks, she's a little girl, but she's probably like maybe 15, 20, like maybe 20 feet tall or something like that. And so, so I was like wondering, it's like, man, someone has to make like her, her dress and everything like, you know, to fit her. So, you know, whatever. maybe someone has ability to make clothes a lot easier or, or maybe a penance and made a machine. I don't know. Anyways, Amal, Amalia thinks that Myrtle wasn't the first that whoever these people were tried taking. And so she's saying, you know, she wants everyone to sign it in and out before they leave. Because I think it, I think it was like an orphanage, what they're, they're calling the place where they bring people who have been touched. They're probably to protect them and train them or help them or whatever. So um, she doesn't want anyone to go out after dark, and she wants to talk to the beggar king. And everyone's like, "What? You know, you, you, whatever." And so apparently, they pay the beggar king for protection, and he's also been feeding them potential candidates. So Amalia wants to know if he's been feeding anyone else, because you know he's probably like, "Hey, there's this girl named Myrtle. She might have been touched. So if you want to go check it out, so she wants to make sure, like." Is he giving this information to other people as well? Because how did these other other dudes come and try to take her the same time they went? But apparently, you don't just demand to talk to the beggar king or whatever. So then um, we see this one dude, Hugo. This is a guy. He's he's just kind of uh, annoyed me. Or whatever. He wakes up in bed. You know, he's like some rich dude, and he's like lying between like a woman and a man. Um, then someone th there named Augie, Aug Augustus, is there to talk to him. So they're, they're going on and on about some stuff. So Hugo, I think he owns like a, a sex club. And um, so Augustus is a little more like prim and proper, like maybe a little more uptight or whatever. And they're, they're talking about, I, th I think the, the place is called the, the Ferryman's. That's whatever. So Hugo wants Augie to go there and... He, there, there's something like like he wants them to go to the opera too or something like that. So that's like his condition for going to the opera. If, if Augustus goes to the sex, I don't even, really know what was going on there. But then we see um, Dr. Horatio. So he's been touched and he his ability conveniently is is healing. So, you know, he's he's able to like put it, like hover his hand over Amalia's gash and it, it kind of starts like knitting up a little bit, like very slowly, like this, the skin's kind of healing. Uh, they they got an invitation from Lavina Bidlow to go to the opera with her and her brother Augustus. So Lavina, she ends up, um, she's the lady that was being pushed around in the wheelchair, and then her brother is Augustus who went to talk to Hugo. So Amalia and Penance get dressed up for the opera. They're, you know, they're fan wearing fancy dresses. Their carriage gets stopped, and this dude jumps in. Um, I think his name is Declan Orun or or something like that. So he's the beggar king, apparently. And, um, you know, so he just kind of like blocks the carriage and, and starts talking to him. So she shows him this drawing of like the, the skin mask guy, the shock trooper, whatever. That I forget who sketched it. And, you know, so he's not, not happy that he was like summoned because apparently other people know that she wanted to talk to him. So it's kind of making him look bad. And, but then she just says that these people who does whoever they came after myrtle the same time they did so she wants to know like who's hunting the touched and um you know but he's like saying some stuff he he's like well why should i help you or this or like that and they're, they're like well what's your price and he kind of jokes he's like well why don't you just get me to crown jewels and they're kind of like you know amalia kind of looks at, at penance like they're considering it and he's like wait are you actually thinking about it or something like that 
So then Amalia says, like, we'll start with a gift, an automated motor carriage designed to your specifications. So he's he's like, okay, thinking about it and everything like that. But then he, like, tries threatening or scaring them, you know, getting in their face, like, holds the blade up up to her face. He's like, okay, but but if you, you know, don't pay up or something, whatever. He says something, and Amalia just, and then she kind of, like, leans forward, like, touches her, her cheek to the blade, like, like, okay, go ahead, take my face off. You know, you know she's not scared of him. And then this, uh, when he gets out of the, the, the carriage, one of his, like, lunky guys, he's like, oh, I thought you were supposed to scare them, whatever. And then the beggar king's like, hold out your fingers or something like that. He's like, what? He's like, hold out your hand. or hold. So he's, I, they don't show it, but I don't know if he's going to cut him or chop off his finger because, you know, he's going to take his anger out of them. But obviously, so even though the beggar king has his power, Amalia, you know, because she is a kick butt character, you know, she's not scared of him or whatever. So we see Lavina. Um, they're at the opera, you know, before it starts to talking. Amalia comes up and starts um, talking because they, they're talking. The the one lord dude is there, and they're talking about how they've started using the French word for employees. Because he's like, why do we need that word when we had the employed? You know, it's like, why do we have to introduce a new word when we have a perfectly, you know, whatever word and she comes and tries to mention that you know with the employee you can have the singular versus the employed you know whatever she and and she's like she very like she's she's doesn't speak against him but you know she kind of stands up for herself and she's like very like not um tiptoeing around him or whatever uh and then they, they start talking about like people who are touched he calls them the afflicted you know because like where she works she works with the aff- afflicted or something like that and she's like it's like they're not afflicted with anything and then um, Hugo comes, Hugo's there too, so the annoying uh, whatever guy. And he's like, oh, what tricks can you do? And Amalia's like, we don't do tricks. And so we find out, you know, Penance is an inventor. And Penance is like, she says that she can see energy, like where it wants to go, move, or settle. And Lavina says that Amalia is uh, a few steps ahead of them. And, and she's like, yeah, I, I see snippets of the future. So and and while they're um in the the opera box or whatever, Amalia's fingers keep twitching and, and like that, and uh, and Penance has like you know kind of hold her hand to settle her down, and she's using binoculars. She's like looking at at the crowd. She's like scanning for something, and then um um Hugo is he's like backstage. He's like making out with one of the actors or something like that. When after her role or I don't know, um but this this dude pops up from like the trap floor of the stage. He's dressed as a devil, but then as he rises up, his throat's been slashed. And the malady is like, she's, this is the killer. She's like right behind him. She's like, I just killed the devil or whatever. And she has like a couple other people like with her. Like um, one guy has like this sphere of fire or energy or whatever. And this other dude has this big kind of like Gatling gun on his arm or whatever. And um, it was weird because Amalia gets a vision of the malady like jumping up in her face, like in the, the opera booth or something like that. And then um, she says that uh, she came to kill uh, a, a witch or something like that, and um, so this is the malady saying that she's like, I saw God, and and you know he came for us or something like that, and then she tells the the gun dude to start shooting, so he starts shooting in the balcony, like killing people, and then the other is about to start a fire, like whoosh, like forming it bigger, but then this performer lady, her name's Mary, she starts singing. And her singing kind of like starts mesmerizing people. You see the kind of like this blue energy floating out from her throat and everything like that. And and everyone's just kind of like watching and, and frozen or not really frozen, but they're just like really like 
looking what what she's doing. So and then the malady she goes up to her and like covers her mouth to like stop her from singing. Amalia jumps out of the 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 box onto the stage, and the malady and the the fire you know they they run off with Mary and um, Amalia she's they go down they're like backstage and they're going down these like scare stair square spiral staircase. So Amalia she like looks down she like jumps down and her dress kind of billows up. And you know it, it kind of hooks onto like the edges of the the stairs or whatever, so it kind of like slows her down, and then she lands and she's uh, just like in her shift. So, is that really necessary? I mean, there, there's like no, no no it's no nudity or anything like that, but you know you hear these stories about Joss Whedon is like okay, is this really whatever? I mean, I guess it's it's perfectly fine everything. So. Um, she starts uh, fighting, or so she asks Malady. She's like, "Just give me the girl." And she's like, "No." So they start fighting, um, and Malady starts kind of, sort of getting the upper hand. So even though Amalia is like a, a good fighter and everything like that, she kind of gets a little overwhelmed. Then you hear like the the police whistle or whatever like that. So they're gonna run. They throw like a fireball, and and Amalia is able to like dive. I think she like jumps into some water. I don't know where this water was. Like some some I don't know. So then we see the inspector dudes there. And he wants to like interview. He actually wants to interview Hugo because you know he was backstage. They kind of like ran past him, and um, the inspector asked him why he didn't try to stop the malady or whatever. And he's like, "Isn't that your job or something like that?" So it seems like they know each other. So the inspector dude, I think his name was Frank. I, I it's I I think they, he said something like he owes him some money. So could it be? Does he frequent the sex club? Is there something or something more going on there? I don't know. So then we see like this mad doctor dude. He's inspecting like the body of one of the shock troopers or something like that. And you know he sticks something in the back of his head and it screams. So he's probably the guy that he's he's probably been touched and he's making these devilish, hellish, whatever creatures that they're using as, as troopers or whatever. So then we um, penance is like walking uh, like through the city. And she sees like she sees a a grate that's open in the ground. And she goes into this alley and, and she finds Amalia and she's just like kind of standing there. She's still like just wearing her shift or whatever. And, you know, she's upset because she didn't win the fight against the malady or whatever. And, you know, she doesn't think that the malady, that malady will, I don't know if her name's the malady or just malady, but she doesn't think that she'll kill Mary. And Penance is like, well, you know, if we get Mary and we get her singing, then they'll all come to us and we'll, and they'll be safe. So apparently her voice is strong. I don't know how she got that just from that little bit. I don't know. And then we get a flashback. So again, Amalia was the one carrying the basket. Her, you know, she jumps into water, and then you see this big flying craft thing in the sky. So it's like, is this an alien ship? Like, what is going? Where is this coming from? And it has like this, you know, blue ball of energy. Like, is that the propulsion motor thing or whatever? So all the people are looking up at this, and you know, some people like fall to their knees. And then the, the craft thing releases a bunch of, like, blue energy or mist. It just, like, whoosh, unleashes it all. And you see, like, little specks of light falling on all the people watching and everything like that. Amalia, even though she's in the water, she's just kind of – so I don't know if she was trying to kill herself or drown herself. But, you know, she kind of gets um, hit by some of the, the lights floating into the water on, onto her or something like that. And uh, we see the Lord dude. He's outside. So the question is, has the Lord been touched? And he's just not 
admitting or telling anyone because he he's i don't know if he's outside his house if it's his daughter but you know some girl comes out and she's like looking up at all the lights and everything like that she's smiling but then she collapses and he runs up to her so probably something happens to his daughter her her reaction to being touched or something causes probably caused her to be in a coma or maybe something horrible so maybe that's why he's not a fan of the touch because it was like a bad thing i don't know well, well, I mean, I'm sure we'll find out more ab- about this. And then Amalia swims to the surface. Everyone, um, like moments later, they just kind of like return to what they're doing, just like walking about. Like no one really comments or says anything about this weird thing that they saw and all these lights or something like that. But then I think it might have been Malady who was being taken to the asylum. And, you know, she was out there. But she seems to remember seeing the craft. She's like talking about it. But like everyone else is like, you know, the, the, the two dudes trying they're just trying to get her in the wagon and like not like hey, yeah we saw it too or something like that so they don't even say anything and then amalia climbs up out of the water and then we see like the orphanage or whatever and then that's where where it ends so it's interesting you know like i said it, it's a you know for for a first episode it's it's fine it's giving us a taste of of what's happening and but just the fact that we see all all these people who have been touched so i wonder I mean, is it possible and maybe not everyone developed abilities right away? You know, maybe they're just unaware. You know, maybe it's something that if you're stressed out or you're excited, you know, maybe it's, then it kicks in. So I think it would be maybe a little more interesting if it was like that versus all of a sudden, boom, everyone's got these powers. Because it's almost like since no one seems to recall what happened, that that would make it a little more spontaneous or unexpected where if suddenly – you know, everyone starts developing because then also it'd be easier to know. It's like, well, who who has abilities? All these people that you know, they all formed it at this time, and that could also be why Myrtle suddenly, you know, three years later, something's going on, and and you know, she's speaking all these different languages. So that would make more sense in in that case that it's something that just pops up. What I mean, you know, or maybe maybe it has something to do with puberty type of thing, and maybe Myrtle, you know, since she's a you know young teen or whatever you know maybe she was younger three years ago i don't know but it's interesting and i think i think there's only going to be five episodes airing right now so i think um i think i, I mentioned this that they're, they're kind of sp- splitting the the season in half so i don't know if there were some delays again because of covid and all the pandemic stuff like that so i think we're gonna get five episodes and then there's gonna be a, a slight break until they, they finish production or whatever on the, the second half. And I don't know how many episodes Joss Whedon was involved with. Um, who knows? And again, does it matter? Yes, it does. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. But that was the first episode of Nevers. So yeah, I'll definitely watch it. And like I said, I you know I like the main character. And Penance, she, she seems fine. You know, she seems pretty cool from this. And I'm, I'm sure we'll get introduced to more characters as a the show goes on so i'm on board I, I i think i would say we'll see how the next episode i that's the real telling part because you know with, with the pilot episode you know you can be uh, a little forgiving or you know whatever but i think you know once you get to the second episode it's like okay now you kind of have things figured out you should have an idea what you want to do where you're going to go this is where you need to show us you know what what what's on your What's on your plate? I don't know what I'm going to say. Anyways, so with that, that is going to be this week's episode. 
So big thanks to David McPhail and Andrew Loken because they are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gmanfromheck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. And if you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to that secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. And we are still talking about The Vision and the Scarlet Witch from 1985-1986, so 12-issue miniseries. And uh, after this... Um, there's there's a few more weeks of this. Then I'll probably do like a movie or two, and then I don't know what the next series will be. So you can hear more about that. But again, 30 minutes more every week. But if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com, and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or four, and that is ko-fi.com slash heck. So what is happening next week? So next week, you know, we'll have... More to shows. I, th- I think there's another Flash. Um, I-, I keep waiting. It's like, are we going to get like some weird... Because br- usually around this... I guess... No, I, I take that back. So the-, the season started later. But usually around like April, you know, there's always like this this lull, you know, and then May we head into like the season finale. But the season started later. So like, that's... I guess doesn't doesn't matter. So there should be another episode of Flash. Um, Bird Girl, we'll see. Um, Invincible, Falcon and, and the Winter Soldier. I keep wanting to say Falcon and the Snowman. And then uh, uh, probably the, the last batch of them episodes. And then the, the feature, the movie feature, should be Mortal, Mortal Kombat. So we'll talk about Mortal Kombat. Anything else? Maybe. I don't know. We'll see. Because you know sometimes things pop up that right now I'm... Like, like, oh, yeah, I forgot to mention that. So we'll see about that. So with that, I hope you are doing well. Um, this has been an exhausting week for me, again, with uh, going back to teaching full days. Um, and it's not so much a teaching the full days because, you know, I, I was working all day, you know, Zooming all morning and, you know, planning and grading and everything like that. But for me, it's just it's just trying to teach wearing the mask and trying to keep the kids, you know, three feet apart and everything and just it's that's a lot so um yeah so i survived the week but now we're looking forward to a new week so here we go so thanks for listening take care of yourself be careful stay safe do everything that you can you know but also try to find some time to enjoy things you know have a have a good time but again be careful and make sure you be good to each other